Welcome. I am your host, Mad Preach, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMA LOT. And joined by my guy, Cody Saftik. You guys can follow him at CJ Saftik on Twitter. And we are here propping you up for UFC 271, headlined by a middleweight scrap here between Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker at two. Can't wait to see how this one goes down. But Cody, it's been like a full month. Actually, you know what? About three weeks since the last time I saw your face. How you been doing, brother? Good, man. Good. Trying to keep warm in this uh, terrible Canadian winter, but we deal with it every single winter. So eh, I got to get used to it eventually. But uh, besides trying to keep warm and hit some hot parlays, yeah, just get status quo. Keep it busy. So that's about it for the most part. We got a U UFC 271. Looks good. I'm excited for it. You and I obviously get together for pay-per-views, so there's always that extra little feel on the card. But uh, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't worried about Texas judges, man. <laughs> so I'm looking to circle in on fights that maybe finishes as opposed to my general strategy of decisions because uh, Texas judges, man. Uh, Bobby Green, buyers beware. So anyways, glad to talk with you and jump into things. Talk about like not wanting to play Bobby Green on a Houston card <laughs> or a Texas card. God, this this one's gonna have you cringing a little bit. I will say this quickly about the Canadian weather. At least we're not having to shovel piles and piles of snow that we got over the last two weeks. Mm. That's starting to seem to simmer down. The sun's finally coming out. All this stuff is finally starting to melt. So I'm glad that uh, hopefully we're gonna start seeing our lawns very soon. But uh, as long as there's no more snow in the near future. But yeah, this 271 card, great fights all around, uh, and I'm very much looking forward to it first and foremost so let's give a quick shout out to our guys over at the all-star for hosting the show one more time for us and uh yeah got a couple other sponsors as well that we've been uh partnered up with cloud bet as i tweeted out earlier uh today or even yesterday actually uh we have added a city kickboxing uh over under for the for it to hit so there's blood diamond or mike matheta whatever the freaking name i still don't know what name they're going with yet blood diamond uh, yeah exactly we'll go with blood diamond for the i sake like of it show. uh blood diamond carlos Ulberg and israel adesanya over under one and a half of those fighters hit uh or when i should say uh, and I believe the over one and a half was at minus 185. Under is at plus 155. So if you guys want to hop in on that, Cloud Bet is in the description below. So make sure you guys go show them some love. And then lastly, make sure you guys show Bovada some love as well. If you haven't actually signed up to those guys, very solid bookie. I'm sure Cody's on Bovada as well, uh, or at least uh, Bodog, which I believe is the Canadian equivalent as well. Uh, but yeah, $250 welcome bonus from Bovada on your initial deposit. So make sure you guys go show them some love so they know that the proper new up crew is alive and well all right cody let's not waste too much more time because we got 15 fights to get through starting off with the aforementioned blood diamond <laughs> aka mike matheta going up against jeremiah wells you love that name don't you you love that yeah well i mean come on he's got a good gimmick he's got a good personality if i hadn't seen carlos uh Ulberg blow his ufc debut maybe you'd have like a little more respect for this guy coming in with just a kickboxing base but Ah, come on. How many guys go just by, you got War Machine, you got Crazy Horse. It seems like those guys generally go off the rocker at some point. Mike Matheta, not, qu not quite off the rocker, but you see that two-inch scar going across his, uh, his, 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 like, not even his hairline, his, uh, his forehead. Yeah. Like, oh, man, this guy's been in some battles. I think he's, like, 55 and 12 as a, as a kickboxer, so I'm excited. Yeah. Unfortunately, styles do make fights, and I don't, I don't know what to expect. 
Exactly. That's what we're going to get to get into right now. There's a reason Jeremiah Wells is currently sitting at minus 235 and the return on Mike Mateta is uh, about plus 190, or I should say Blood Diamond. I keep fucking it up. All week I've been saying Mike Mateta, but just for this podcast, we'll go with Blood Diamond. Uh, pretty easy stylistic matchup, right? You got a K1, or sorry, a kickboxer uh, with the Blood Diamond side, and then obviously you got Jeremiah Wells training out of the same gym as Sean Brady at the uh, Daniel Gracie gym, I believe, over there in Philly, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, more often than not, he fights similar to Sean Brady. He wants to get the fight to the ground and really just rough his opponents up on the ground. Uh, obviously, we saw him pick up a big win in his debut against uh, Warley Alves. Uh, beautiful finish of him there. Uh, I think we see something similar here. Maybe not so much on the feet, but I think he gets this fight to the ground pretty easily, and then from there, he should be able to do some easy work on top. 3-0, and this Blood Diamond guy, and his MMA record, uh, it's 3-0, and yeah, but uh, in terms of his performances, yeah. He's undefeated, but ugh, pretty sketchy performances in terms of when you actually run the tape. You know, I mean, the, the last fight that he had was easily getting controlled up against the cage. And although he was having tremendous success with his uh, knees and, and his Muay Thai work in the, inside that clinch area, uh, it seems like he's primed to get taken down. And I feel like a guy like Jeremiah Wells, as strong and powerful as that guy is, more than likely you'd be able to ground this fight up, grind this fight to the ground and then from there uh maybe find a submission or a tko from from top position i like wells here I, in terms of a prop i like wells inside the distance let's, let's get a little bit greedy and try to seek that finish here uh wells inside the distance is currently sitting at uh minus 165 so a little bit of juice on that we don't often see that on an inside the distance line but given how these guys match up you got to believe jeremiah wells just cuts through the sky like butter, especially when this fight hits the mat. How do you feel about this one? Yeah, the uh, current over, sorry, the under one and a half rounds is like currently sitting at minus 160. So it's a good indicator of how people think this thing's going to go. It should be quick. If he Wells wins, it's going to be with his ground game. He's going to complete the takedown. He'll go to work from top position. And and as whereas you're looking at that inside the distance at minus 160, I find the submission prop way sexier, plus 175. Because yeah, realistically... Like He's a BJJ black belt. Not only that, he is at a Henzo Gracie Philly. They're known for being really good power grapplers. And he does have a similar style to Sean Brady in that he, once he gets his wrestling going, he's got a smothering top game. Against Warley Alves, he never got his wrestling going whatsoever. However, he takes a fight on like three days' notice. And Warley Alves is also BJJ black belt. The Vinicius Jesus fight, which is his last loss, his wrestling looked terrible. But it's a five-round fight. One has to imagine he probably just paces himself. And since that fight, He's been way more aggressive. So they think he's going to come out ultra aggressive here, uh, probably hunt for the takedown and try to get a submission. I would probably agree with that assessment. Looking at the props in this fight, I missed the line on the uh, under one and a half. So at minus 160, I don't like under one and a half, especially at minus 160, truth be told, because at some point they could come out feeling out process. Wells could get a takedown and grind him a little bit to open up that submission. So I don't love it anymore. But plus 175, for a submission prop, you know one guy's got legitimate jiu-jitsu, and his game plan should be take this fight to the ground, path of least resistance. You know Blood Diamond, I wouldn't call him a high-level kickboxer. You know, he fought for Kun Lun a little bit, but he never made glory. He, his, his goal was to crack the glory roster, never did. Izzy got signed. Izzy went from the Chinese scene over to glory, but he never followed. Matheta is also low-key 33 years old. I just think he's Israel Adesanya's buddy. And, and an interesting note is, the UFC signed this guy in August, and they didn't believe he was ready. They didn't give him a contender series fight, but they left him six months on the sideline just being like, get your ground game going, get your ground game going. They initially matched him up with a Ryan Kosky, kind of a bum fight, but Kosky's likely going to take him down too. Things he might gas, like the Phil Rowe uh, performance. 
But Wells, Wells is a short-nosed replacement. He, he, he fought great short-nosed against Warley Alves. The guy's way, way tougher of an opponent than Orion Koski. Like, it's all there. So I'm going to go plus 175 submission prop. I like it as well. Uh, a couple people are in the comment section are picking up on it too. I'm going to kind of state it as well. Uh, your mic seems to be rubbing up against either your zipper or your jacket, and it's creating a little bit oh. of a, uh, creating a okay. little bit of a noise. So I'm not sure if you're able to uh, fix that moving forward. But yeah, I absolutely agree with you. If you want to take a specific prop on uh, Jeremiah Walls, that subprop looks quite nice. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. Sergey Morozov going up against the UFC veteran Douglas Silva, the Andrade. Uh, in terms of odds, minus 210 on Morozov, plus 175 to return on Andrade. The interesting thing here is that Morozov was actually an underdog in his last fight against Hali Taha. Um, and I believe that was kind of a market overcorrection in terms of uh, him fighting Umer Namagomedov the last time around. Of course, you're going to, you know, as a plus 400 underdog, uh, you're going to lose, you know, to a guy, Umer Namagomedov, who had him covered in pretty much every aspect of that fight, right? Grappling, striking, much better everywhere, and he was able to finish him. So I think a lot of people were just low on Morozov after that, thinking that, oh, look, look what Umer was able to do to him. Taha should be able to do the same. But I didn't really understand that. I was happy to catch the underdog favor on Morozov, and I'm glad that people are starting to see what type of fighter he actually is because he's a solid fighter, man. His boxing is slick. His takedown, obviously, that's kind of what he was leaning on in that Kali Taha fight. And he landed six of them, got eight and a half minutes of control time in a 15-minute fight. Uh, pretty much how he wanted to draw up that fight, that's how he was able to get it done. Now, training down there at American Top Team, you got to believe that they have a perfect game plan to go out there and execute against a guy in um, Douglas Silva de Andrade, who's still... You know, kind of flashy on the feet at times, but still has some power, right? Likes to throw spinning shit at times, has some big power. But one thing that is constant in fights, if somebody wants to get him down, more than likely they're going to be able to get him down. And that's exactly what Morozov does here. Uh, I know people, if they just see the Henan Baral fight on his record, they're like, oh, of course he beats that version of Henan Baral. But if you guys go back and watch that fight, man, if it was maybe a different ref, that fight probably would have been a Henan Baral fight. Took him down numerous times in that fight, held him down, and got stood up by the ref by like two or three times because he, you know, I thought he was a little bit active. He could have been more active, don't get me wrong. But if there was another ref in there and he didn't stand that fight up, Douglas Silva was on his way to losing that fight. Uh, but yeah, Morozov more than likely will be able to get this fight to the ground and grind him out. He's honestly at the chalk price. He's my favorite spot on the card. I think he absolutely does work here against uh, Douglas and uh, takes home a decision victory. So uh, decision. For Morozov, that is currently hanging at uh, plus 110. I love that spot. I think that's how he wins. Douglas, again, he might have cardio issues at times, but the guy's durable, man. He can take a shot. He can take a little bit of a beating unless your name is Piotr Jan, and that was a corner stoppage, obviously. His corner had to step in and stop that fight because he's too durable for his own good. But I'd be surprised if Morozov is able to replicate what Jan did in terms of devastating blows from on top. But I do think he'll be able to replicate the the getting the takedowns and just grinding out Douglas and, and really just putting a stamp on this fight. So, yeah, I like Morozov. Very big here. And uh, decision is probably the way that I'd go. How are you feeling about this one? Yeah, I'm just going to add on. I got Morozov decision plus 130 and then the fight to go the distance at minus 160, which I didn't even think that was really that bad of a price tag. But, uh, yeah, truth be told, Morozov is a good takedown artist. He fights that Russian style where he just wants to grind you up against the cage, complete takedowns, and then set up shop on top. That is a winning strategy. Sometimes it's not the most entertaining. Sometimes it's not the most fan-friendly. But in terms of cashing tickets, that's the kind of style you want. Morozov is a former M1 champion. He lost to Mavzar Ivloev. Once Ivloev went to the UFC, this he was kind of the guy. Now that he's in the UFC, yeah, one loss to Umar Nurmagomedov. But outside of that, I think that you're going to start seeing a, his true color shine. And that's 
he can kind of do everything. Not a generalist because he likes to get his ground game going, and that's his specialty. But the guy can strike as well. His cardio, not that bad. His chin, pretty solid. And you look at his last three wins. Khalid Taha, he dominates, gets the takedowns going. Uh, eight minutes of control time, like you mentioned. Decision victory. The fight with Josh Redding had his last fight before coming to the UFC. Decision. The fight with Alexander Ostrov was a title fight, so it's a fourth-round finish. So in a normal circumstances, three-round fight, it's also a decision. I, I'm going to agree with pretty much everything you said. I think he completes the takedowns. I think he holds down Diondraj for as long as he can and en route to a decision victory. If Diondraj was able to stuff the takedowns and box him up and for whatever reason springs the upset, I still think we're good on that decision prop. So minus 160 fight goes the distance. Morozov by decision plus 130. We're on the exact same page here. Love it, love it. All right, let's keep it going. Next up, we got Jacob Malkoon taking on AJ Dobson. A uh, ton of line movement on this fight throughout fight week. Uh, AJ Dobson was closer to minus, I believe, minus 150. And uh, yeah, minus 150. And now he's down to a pick and price here against Jacob Malkoon. Uh, AJ, obviously successful in his Dana White Contender Series fight where he beat a guy, I believe, uh, Hashim Arkaga, who uh, missed weight for that fight. And AJ Dobson absolutely made him pay, uh, dropping him numerous times in that first round and then eventually sinking in a no hooks rear naked choke at the ending of that first round to be able to get the win uh limited tape on the guy right because he goes out there and just dusts dudes and, and it's hilarious because all of Malcoon's UFC opponents thus far have fought in a similar fashion where they're like round one or bust kind of guys obviously he failed to Phil Hawes test in his UFC debut he comes back and springs the upset over Abdul Razak Al-Hassan and now he gets another guy in AJ Dobson who's probably the least talented out of all three of those guys in total uh but Still has some scary power in his hands. Uh, he trains out of, I believe, the Immortal Martial Arts Gym over there in Ohio under Matt Brown. Obviously, you see Mark Coleman in his uh, corner a bunch of times. So you got to believe that his wrestling is kind of sh shaken out and he might be ready for that Malkun uh, style, which is obviously grapple heavy. Try to take the fight to the ground and get that jujitsu going. But this is going to be his toughest test. Got to be, right? Like, who, who are these guys that he's fighting on the regional scene? And even the guy that he went to a decision with, that guy was 2-1 and one at the time, now sits at 3-7, and seven, right? So there's not much that we can really even take from that fight, even if we had access to that tape, which I was not able to find. I even shout out or hit up the Iron Tiger series guys and try to get the tape from them. Seems like they don't have it either. But uh, even if we did, like I said, we might not be able to extract what we need to from there. So the way that I actually played it was violence. Because I'm not sure, like I said, how good Dobson's jiu-jitsu is going to be. Like, we saw some of it against Arkaga, but that's Arkaga rocked and on wobbly legs for the majority of that fight. And that's how he was able to get the rear naked choke. But now he's going up against a legit, like, guy in, in uh, Malkun who's won a ton of titles down there, I believe, down under and uh, for BJJ. And he's more than likely going to want to get into that, that spot. So... The spot that I went with was the uh, under two and a half. I got minus 145. I see uh, minus 160s and minus 150s hanging around. But Dobson KO uh, plus 180. Malkun submission plus 700, which I think is a ridiculous line considering I feel like he could get it there. And then at that point, that, that submission prop is more than likely going to be live. Um, yeah, I, I like the under two and a half here. I'm expecting violence from either side. Uh, I'm officially picking Dobson to eventually get that knockout because this fight will more than likely be on the feet for a certain period of time. And from that spot, I do think he'll find that KO blow. But I'd rather cover my ass in case Malkun does drag this fight to the ground and end up locking up a submission. So maybe a sprinkle on that plus 700 Malkun by sub. But my main money is on the under two and a half here. How are you feeling about this one? Yeah, I like the Malkoon submission sub at plus 700. The issue is, is that Malkoon, BJJ Black Belt, right? ADCC competitor. I think he won the trials. Uh, and he's Robert Whitaker's jiu-jitsu coach. 
He doesn't have any submission victories as a professional, no submission victories as an amateur. So to say he's going to submit a guy who's pure theory-based doesn't mean it can't happen. It's just yeah. you're really going with a the narrative there. And I, I almost want to buy into it because there's a first time for everything. And I think that the submission would be, again, his, probably his best path to victory. AJ Dobson, a couple flaws with him, right? So first of all, he is out of Immortal uh, MMA over in Ohio, but he's out of Louis Simmons' powerlifting gym. The dude was a powerlifter for a while. So what you'll notice about his record is he fights amateur 2012. 2012, mm -hmm. he's an amateur. This is 10 years ago. He loses to John Gunther in his last amateur fight. No big deal. It's a long time ago. But turns pro 2016, fights once. 2017, active, fights three times. One fight in 2018, and then takes two years off. Comes back for one fight in 2020, one fight in 2021. Now, here's the key issue here. The fight with Hashem, first round finish. The fight with Kalen Hill, first round finish. Wesley Golden, first round finish. The last time he's been past a few minutes, or the last time he's been past one single round, is 2017. And the way he fights, which is balls to the walls, power technique, throwing heat, caution to the wind for the most part, I don't think he's going to be able to keep that pace going. So when you mentioned Mark Coleman being in his corner, it has nothing to do other than the fact that Mark Coleman's from Ohio. So Mark Coleman uh, is in Matt Brown's corner a lot of the time. But I got Coleman on Facebook, man. Like his body's shot to bits. His knees yeah. are shot to bits. He's routinely going to the hospital. He's actually like, 67 days sober which is a great thing and you can tell he's starting to come around but he's got massive massive health issues but if you're from ohio he's the man he's the guy and so you'll see him prop up in ohio based fighters corners just you know it'd be like a canadian fighter having gary goodridge come out right there's not really much he could do for you but it's pretty iconic right i don't think his wrestling's all that good he's a strong guy don't get me wrong just google louis simmons and look into it uh he's a very very physically strong guy it's that i don't know that he's going to be able to keep that pace going throughout the course of it malcoon meanwhile his takedown game looked good against razak al hassan razak al hassan also built like a brick shit house he's also a judo black belt and should have had much better takedown defense but malcoon ragdolled him man eight takedowns dominant on top you know not able to finish but hassan i guess his submission defense is not terrible uh, against Dobson, if you get this guy tired, you get him to a second round, something he hasn't seen in five years, and you get him desperate, he makes a bad mistake, why not lock up a submission? So if I was going to play a prop, this is on a 15-fight card, you could stay away, you could pass. Yeah. But if I was going to play a prop, plus 700? I, I know it's never happened, but shit, that looks pretty good for my liking. So that's where I would sprinkle my little bit of money. Yeah, the, it kind of reminds me of when uh, Miguel Baeza fought... Uh... Uh, the Japanese fighter, I can't recall his name, but his sub prop was like plus 1200. BJJ Black Belt, no submissions on his record, but that seemed like an easy um, easy path to victory from there. Not to mention Bilal Muhammad submitted this guy the fight before, and he goes out there and gets a submission. So I'm hoping similar situation here where Malkoon doesn't have any submissions on his record, but that BJJ Black Belt finally comes in handy to get a finish in his uh, pro MMA career. Plus 100, not a bad price tag to take that oh. shot. All right, let's keep this moving along. City kickboxing number two uh, fighter here. We got Carlos Albert going up against Fabio Charant. In terms of odds, obviously heavy chalk on the on Carlos Albert. Minus 255 on him, plus 205 the return on Fabio Charant. Uh, man, Fabio was looking good against William Knight at first until that one body kick lands. And then ultimately he crashes forward with a poorly timed uh, entry with the strikes and eats just a hellacious counter from thick Willie, Will, uh, William Knight. And uh, Knight ab absolutely starches him that night. 
Uh, I was live for that fight. I was in the apex for that fight. And the one thing, the one sound that sticks to me to this day is that body kick that William Knight landed. The loudest thing I think I've ever heard. I've been to hundreds, or not even hundreds, but a ton of MMA shows, pro MMA shows from uh, Substance Gauge Combat to UFC events, all that type of stuff. I've never heard a strike land like that with that type of impact. And funny enough, I, I watched it back afterwards. John Anik comments it right away. He goes, man, the... The, the sounds or the acoustics of the apex are crazy. And then right after that is when William Knight gets the knockout. But Fabio Schrant, man, uh, I don't know what he's really good at. Like he, sometimes you see him go for takedowns, like in the Myron Dennis fight. Uh, sometimes he's low output. You know, th there's not much to really like about his game. I know he's aligned himself with Samford MMA. So hopefully they're able to kind of put together a solid game plan here, which should be centered around takedowns, right? You got to take this Carlos Alberg guy to the ground and, and beat him there. And even in my Kennedy and Zetsuku breakdown for that Alberg fight, that's the same thing that I said. I'm like, Kennedy needs to get this fight ground to the ground to have success. But he didn't. He just struck with him and he just pushed him. He he he, he put on a pressure that Olberg was not able to keep up with. And sure, it didn't look good at sometimes when he was uh, turtled up against the cage and kind of just, you know, just hoping that Olberg is going to tire himself out trying to finish him. And that's what actually happened. But there's certain cases where referees probably would have st stepped in and stopped that fight because all he's doing is covering up and just eating shots. It, I don't see Fabio getting away with something like that. I think that one of those shots is going to catch him clean on the chin, and I think he's going to go down. Am I paying minus 255 on Carlos Alberg here? No, but his KO is probably the spot to go, right? Like, if he's going to win this fight, that's probably how he wins it. Uh, minus 135 is worth that currently sits at. Um, and last thing I'll say about this fight, and then I'll pass it on over to you. He does have one fight on his record where he has won it by decision by just outpointing the guy from the outside. And... That's because the guy just accepted fighting at kickboxing range. He didn't enter in, try to close the distance and get any grappling, any crazy striking or anything going on. He was fine with getting touched up by Alberg for 15 minutes from the outside. If Fabio wants to do that and doesn't want to take any chances trying to close the distance, we could see this go the full 15 minutes and Alberg being okay with just striking from the outside. Because you got to wonder, like, how does that last fight play into his mentality where he kind of let it go and just couldn't ultimately find the knockout and then his gas tank ultimately suffered for that is he going to want to just stay on the outside now conserve that gas tank and just beat this kind of 50 minute kickboxing match who knows but i know that anytime fabio sharon gets touched on the chin more than likely this guy's going to go down that's why i'm going to go with uh alberg alberg ko minus 135 but I, I i'd be lying if the alberg decision at uh, plus 450 wasn't you know just in the back of my head just whispering hey don't forget that one fight don't forget that one fight but alberg ko is what i'm going to go with how about you yeah, I don't think this thing's going the distance, personally. I love decisions, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, well, I honestly think that Olberg's going to catch him, but even if he doesn't catch him, he's going to die trying. Gas out and Fabio Schrein will figure out a way to work his way back into it. But if if I could guarantee that Carlos Olberg was going to go in there and fight him the exact same way he fought Kennedy and Jakku, the play would be the round one plus 150. I mean, better than the KO prop. He's good. He's a, Not bad. The way he fought Kennedy, he came straight at him. It went guns a-blazing. Kennedy took some hellacious blows that I just don't think Fabio Charant would. It's like you mentioned in your breakdown. Is that going to play into his head? Is he not going to think to himself, yeah, I, I bum-rushed the last guy and I got tired. So this time I'm going to hang back and use my superior kickboxing. But even if he does that, I still think it goes good for him. See, here's the one thing I noticed about Fabio Charant. You watch the Alexa Kamor fight. The first round, he's very tentative, right? He's unwilling to engage. He lands hardly any strikes. The second round... 
It's as if he is like, I got to turn up the pace. And he goes after Alexa Kay more and eats a flying, right? He got a little bit over antsy in that, in that situation. He gets himself knocked out. Not the end of the world. The Alonzo Menafield fight, he comes right at Alonzo. Alonzo picks him up, body slams him. The people's body slam right to Yvonne Fluchok. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't go very well for him. But, but let's key in more so on the William Knight fight because you were in the arena, so you know what's up. He starts out good. His technical yeah. boxing, not half bad. Quick enough hands, decent accuracy. He's doing a good job of using that height and reach advantage that everybody who fights William Knight has had. Right? So that's what he's doing a good job of. But at some point, he eats the body kick. At some point, he just throws his game plan out the window and goes right in at the <laughs> thickest dude in the division. He eats a counter punch that just knocks him out completely. So I can't. if the game plan for Alberg is bum rush him and it's a crazy uh, pace fight early, I think Alberg catches him. If Alberg just hangs back, tries to play more tentative like you said, Fabio at some point is just going to make a mistake. And a high-level kickboxer should be able to capitalize on that mistake. If Fabio's smart, shoot the takedown. Because even if you don't get it, you're going to gas him out by him uh, having to defend all these takedown attempts. And if you do get get it, great. Don't have to stand with this guy. So for the money line, minus 225, yeah, I wouldn't feel it. I wouldn't really feel for Albert. As far as a singular prop, I, I went I went with what you had. No great confidence on it, but Albert TKO, minus 130. I wanted that round one, plus 150, way better. Uh, but I settled with it could happen in the second round. It could happen in the over one and a half. The best straight-up prop would be the TKO minus 130. So that's where I ended up going as well. I like it. I like it. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. We got Alexander the Great Hernandez going up against Anato Moicano in terms of odds, minus 160 on Moicano and plus 140 on Alexander Hernandez. Now, Hernandez obviously coming off uh, a starching of Mike Breeden in his last fight, but that's kind of how it goes for Alexander Hernandez, right? When he fights that level of guy, he goes out there and starches them. Uh, Chris Gritzmacher, another guy he was able to starch uh, two or three fights ago. But when he takes steps up in competition, and I'm guilty of this. I thought he was going to go out there and do work against Tiago Moises. But Moises beat him at his own game pretty much, right? Like just staying out there, striking with him. I felt the only way Moises was going to win that fight was if he was able to get his jiu-jitsu going. And I thought Alexander Hernandez had the better wrestling. But we didn't even get to find out. Because he touched him up on the feet for 15 minutes, hurt him and rocked him a couple times and had so much success being the much technical, much more technical striker that night. But here against Sonato Moicano, uh, Moicano, great striker from range, as long as his durability holds up. A lot of people kind of forget the Rafael Fazia fight because they just remember the knockout. But he was having good success in that fight against a guy who, you know, is minus 260 against Rafael Dos Anjos next week, right? Like, he... he he still has good striking chops, but I believe it was after the Demir Hadzovic fight where he was like, I got to stop going out there and striking with these guys. I got to use my bread and butter, which is takedowns and jujitsu. And it's been working out for him when he actually is able to do that, right? Maybe not against Fiziev. And he did shoot for a takedown there, even after rocking Fiziev, but Fiziev did a good job of keeping that fight standing. That's where my concern comes here. Like, like, is he going to out-wrestle Hernandez? Does he even need to wrestle Hernandez, though? Can he just stay on the outside and strike with him and then eventually just wait for that opportunity to either catch a trip or jump on his back or even just get his, his jiu-jitsu going in some sort of unorthodox way? Because he's tall, lanky, and he can obviously take advantage of that in certain uh, spots. Uh, he's obviously the better fighter, but it always comes to question his durability. Like, will he be able to eat the shot that Alexander Hernandez is inevitably going to be able to land in this fight? I don't know. I, I just don't know. That's what's giving me the concern on the Moicano part. 
Uh, I do think that this fight is live to go on the under, though. The under two and a half is something that I was looking at, which currently sits at around uh, minus 120, minus 115, depending on the spots that you're looking at. But Hernandez KO, obviously, right? That's kind of his best path to win this fight, plus 275. Or Moicano club and sub. Uh, we've obviously seen Hernandez uh, had to uh, deal with that. Uh, I believe that was against Cowboy Oliveira. Oh, sorry, uh, uh, Cowboy Cerrone. Oh, it looks like Cody dropped his mic, but it's all good. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh but yeah uh yeah hernandez losing to uh cowboy Sorney that night i believe that was a club and sub situation so yeah here or sorry actually no he didn't uh sub him there uh i i believe i bet on the sub in that fight and he's just like oh this motherfucker's been talking all this shit i'm gonna continue to ground and pound him until the referee pulls me off of this guy but uh yeah uh that that is absolutely an opportunity for moicano as well is the club and sub situation so moicano by sub is also sitting at plus 240 again numbers not too wide so obviously it's going to be tough if you play hernandez ko and moicano sub there's not much payoff there i'd rather just go with the violence bet here under two and a half i think at a certain point one of these guys is going to find the finish give me moicano though club and sub how are you feeling about this one i'm gonna go with moicano as well but i struggled mightily to come up with what prop i actually like the best and uh, gonna sound crazy and if nobody wants to tail me on this one completely understand but i, I kind of think fight goes the distance plus 120 and moicano by decision plus 240. reason why i end up going with that is so alex hernandez is a big heavy power puncher if he clips moicano and it's not going the distance and this and that but he debuts like a bat out of hell knocking out benil darius in 42 seconds but the next fight against olive obe mercier it, it's kind of a Slow paced grind. He doesn't really look all that good. Donald wipes his ass. Non competitive fight for him. But the Francisco Trinaldo fight he just goes through the motions, right? Nothing really happens. It's kind of a slow paced fight. Not very good. He wins, but he should have lost that fight. Not a good performance whatsoever. Drew Dober knocks him senseless. He knocks out Chris Krutzmacher. The Chago Moises fights another one of these kind of slow-paced bog of a fight So he's almost hit and miss with that now you what you'll notice is outside of the Benil Darius fight is knockout wins are Mike Breeden and Chris Grootsmacher So they're super low his losses drew Dover and Donald Cerrone by knockout and then Chago Moises by decision Hanacho Makano to me would fit somewhere in that that balance. He's a good striker, but he's not some huge knockout guy, right? It, his his best punch is his jab. He stays long from the outside He'll jab you straight up the middle and he'll bust you up He's kind of got the more experience than Hernandez. He's a little slicker than Hernandez. He's got better jiu-jitsu than Hernandez. Can he take him down? On paper, no. I mean, Alexander Hernandez comes from a wrestling base, but likely, more than likely, I think that at some point, you could force the fight to the ground. And if he does, it'll be in his wheelhouse. But the fight just stays standing. I think he can just stay to the outside and matador him, just jab his face off, cause him to get desperate, cause him to make a mistake, and then capitalize on that mistake. Again, I know it sounds crazy, but... This is what's going to, if you don't want that Moicano plus 240, the fight goes the distance. If Moicano does what I believe he's just going to do, as I just talked about, it hits. But Hernandez is live, and Derek Wilcox, shout out to you, you mentioned it. Hernandez on the split decision. I would have just said the Hernandez on a robbery, but I don't know if they give you a price for that. But uh, remember how I said the Francisco Trinaldo fight? He should have lost, but he ends up getting because it's in Texas, and Hernandez is from Texas. He just keeps this thing quasi-competitive. He could definitely ruin it. So as much as I think Moicano should win and will win, he's not high up on my list of priorities for parlays because they, they could totally fuck this guy this weekend. Now, the common collective thought is it ain't going the decision anyways. Either Moicano is going to choke him out or you know catch him with some great shot or Hernandez is going to let that great power go. And I could definitely see that. This could be a straight-up violent fight. 
But Hernandez is a mental case, right? He's one of these guys that needs to believe in himself. And when he fights bums, he believes in himself. When he fights tough competition, sometimes he doesn't fully have that confidence in him. And uh, and then it, it just it's a lackluster performance. Moicano could capitalize that, state of the outside, win a decision. But honestly, I don't feel great about it. I'm talking myself in circles right now. So let's just get on with it. But that'll be my official pick. The fight goes the distance, plus 120. Moicano by decision, plus 240. If I'm not mistaken, John, who obviously provided us our uh, uh, history best props that we're going to share at the end of it, he picked McConnell by decision as well. So uh, it's not just me or you that that feel that's live. Obviously, John does as well. And for those that don't know, John is the one that is propping you up with me for the fight night episodes. All right, let's keep this train moving on. We got Ronnie Lawrence going up against uh, Mana Martinez. <clears throat> Excuse me. In terms of odds, chalk on a minus 300 Ronnie Lawrence, plus 235 the return on Leo Manna or Manna Martinez. Uh, the spot that I like here is actually the under two and a half at plus 155, which is hilarious considering that, you know, everybody was always hyped on betting the under in um, Martinez fights. Now he goes the full 15 minutes against the guy in Guido Canetti and everybody, everybody is ultimately off that train. Now I get it. There's obviously the Ronnie Lawrence side of things because he likes to go out there and take his opponents down and grind them out. but. I think if he's if he's successful in doing that, he's eventually going to break Martinez. And I think he'll eventually be able to lock up a sub or get a TKO on the ground, which is why I'd like the plus money here uh, at plus 155 for the under. Uh, Ronnie Lawrence, uh, absolute uh, prospect here, right? His last fight, great performance. I believe he landed 12 takedowns, if I'm not mistaken. Um, let me just quickly get that number out. <clears throat> 12, 12 takedowns in his contender series fight, eight takedowns in his UFC debut against Vince Cashero, and he finishes him via TKO eight seconds over the under two and a half mark. So hopefully it comes eight seconds sooner this time around if I am betting that plus 155. But I like Lawrence here. One thing is we obviously got to see how he looks on the scale. Had tremendous issues last time around. Didn't even make the scale last time around. So I want to see if he he's actually fixed that this time around and, and can make it. Uh, although, right, it's I'm betting the under two and a half, not Ronnie Lawrence inside the distance. So that will ultimately cover Amanda Martinez KO, which I think is absolutely live in this spot too. The guy can crack, man. For for the lighter weight classes, that guy can absolutely crack, and you can see it even when you just go over his uh, his record. But uh, I like Lawrence here. Uh, Lawrence is some sort of ground finish, whether it's a submission or a TKO. I don't mind the inside the distance at plus 215 on him. But again, it's not too far off from the plus 155 on the under two and a half. So that's honestly my favorite prop in this fight. How are you seeing this one go down? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure how hard he does crack. Like, I'm not sure if he is just a pure power puncher gifted in both hands or if he's the, you know, the beneficiary of some lackluster competition because... On the regional scene, yeah, he just dices guys out. Quick knockout after quick knockout. As far as, like, step up in competition, I don't know. Guido Canetti's 42 years old. Guido Canetti's not all that good. Guido Canetti been yeah. knocked out in the fight prior in the very first round. And he took everything he had. I thought Guido Canetti won the first round. He's aggressive. He presses him back. It's like, man, this kid looks lost in there. Second round, pretty close. Competitive round. I give it to Mana Martinez. And then the third, the kid, wow, I mean, Guido Canetti's in his, did I mention he's in his 40s? Took three years off from the sport because of an USADA ban and is not known for having good cardio. So, yeah, okay, Mana Martinez was the third round there. I didn't think he looked good. His coach, Saul Solis, had passed away. It was emotional for him. Uh, it was his first time getting extended in some later rounds. Like, he's 25. He's green. He's still got some improving to do. Whereas with Ronnie Lawrence, yeah, the takedown game should be on point. You see what he's able to do. American top team, but just progressively getting better and better. Ronnie Lawrence comes from a striking base. Sanford, actually. Sanford MMA. 
But yeah, continue. He's at Sanford now too. Yeah. If you were ever not going to be at ATT, Sanford would be a second, <laughs> second choice. <laughs> uh, I, I think the world of this kid. He's 27 years old, yeah. but he's got that Tennessee toughness to him. And besides that, he's got good cardio, good pace, good wrestling, good striking, durable. Uh, it seems like he's going to be a legitimate prospect in the division for, for, for some time to come. The one issue is his last fight. He doesn't make the weight. Doesn't he bought topology officially listed as botched weight cut, you know, yeah. illness related. So I was like, oh, like I mean, kid, kid, kid fucked up. Kid's a little yeah. big for the weight class and he fucked up the weight class. So uh, the weight cut. So I, I get it. I want to wait until I see the weigh-ins, but I want to hammer some Ronnie Lawrence, man. I think he matches up incredibly good in this spot. As far as the prop I went with, I went with Ronnie Lawrence TKO plus 300, right? So when you look at Mana Martinez, oh, well, he'd never been knocked out, but he never really fought anybody, man. Uh, He's never fought anybody with the wrestling, the pace, the tenacity. And and with Ronnie Lawrence, some of his early fights, maybe decision here and there, like I, I get it. The beating he put on Vince Cachero was complete. It was pillar to post. It was the entire fight. He was on him, takedowns, good position, good ground and pound, good pace, breaking him late in the third round. But he kept going the entire time. Like you said, eight seconds over the over two and a half. But that's he's going for the finish the entire time. And I think this young kid, Mana Martinez, could be a little bit out of it. Again, Martinez is also from Texas, cards in Texas. Uh, it's going to be a big crowd. I imagine he's going to have a lot of friends and family. And he's young. I just think the moment's probably going to get lost to him. And Ronnie just pounces on this kid. So Ronnie's a prop piece for me this week. But unfortunately, I can't lock him in right now. I have to wait and see what happens at the weigh-ins first. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that. <clears throat> All right, let's move on to the next fight here. <clears throat> Not sure what's going on with my throat. Just give me one second. All right, let's get this going. Uh, next up, we got Thick Willie, William Knight going up against Maxime Grishin, plus 145 on Knight, minus 165 on the Russian. Uh, kind of a tough fight to call here, right? Sometimes William Knight is just a little bit too low volume, too low output. Like the Fabio Sharon fight, right? We were talking about it a little bit earlier where Knight just wasn't doing anything. He just allowed Fabio to kind of get his game going, but it didn't end up mattering anyway because he carries so much goddamn power that he can turn off your lights at any point in this fight. But with this Maxime Grishin guy, man, Maxime's very uh, tested in terms of the, the amount of experience he has even before coming into the UFC. I think one of the main things that they kept touting on him during his UFC debut is with the fact that he has a submission victory over Alexander Volkov way back in the day. So this guy is a big dude, especially at uh, light heavyweight. In terms of how they match up in terms of stature, uh, 6'3", Maxime Grishin, 5'10", William Knight. So that's what like a 4 or 5-inch reach advantage there, or height advantage. And then in terms of reach, he has a 5-inch reach advantage on him too i think he can go out there and kind of stick him and, and keep him at range and and kind of just do what he does from the outside it's not too bad right he had a pretty good kickboxing fight against uh dustin jacoby until he started to slow down in that second and third rounds maybe due to the weight cut right he missed by four and a half pounds that night um, but he was do having a damn good uh, or making a damn good account of himself in that striking uh, realm against the guy who was supposed to be the better striker that night. Um, the main thing here is just staying away from that William Knight bomb, right? I could see also another scenario where Maxim Grishin tries to replicate what Dao Yung was successful with, what William Knight tie up with this guy and drag him to the ground because he seems to struggle on the ground because he only has two forms of defense on the ground hold on to you until the referee eventually stands you up like the Cody Brundage fight and Brundage obviously paid for that very dearly uh or 
not get up. <laughs> the guy doesn't do a good job of getting up. And I feel like a big light heavyweight like Maxim Grishin could absolutely hold him down. If Daun Jung was able to do it with the same goddamn takedown every single time, I feel like this Russian and Maxim Grishin could do the exact same thing. So I would I would plead with people to not take Maxim Grishin's performance from uh, his heavyweight fights against, especially against Marcin Tybora as his finished product. The guy's a solid fighter. Like I said, a tremendous amount of experience and can win this fight in almost any realm that he wants. It's all about staying away from that big power from William Knight. And I know William Knight, I believe he has two decision victories on his record, but his style is not great for winning decisions, right? Of course, the Alonzo Menafield fight, I thought Menafield got robbed in that fight. I believe it was 1-1 going into that third round. And it was, what, four minutes of control time for Alonzo Menafield up against the cage. And then William Knight breaks away, throws a couple big strikes, lands maybe one of them, and the judges give him that round. Just doesn't make much sense to me, honestly. He doesn't have a decision-friendly style, and I think that Maxim Grishin will be the much better minute winner in this fight. It's all about staying away from that goddamn power, though. If he can evade that, I think he wins this fight, and I think he's going to try to play it as disciplined as possible, not overextend too much, leaving himself to get knocked out, which is why I like Grishin by decision here, plus 150, over 2.5 at minus 110, not too bad either right again if somehow william knight squeaks out a, a greasy decision himself we're covered in that aspect as well but i'm on the grishan side here plus 150 decision give me all of that how you feel about this one yeah yeah i'm gonna agree i mean if we're worried about the bomb landing uh the one thing you can give grishan is just went the distance with justin jacoby former glory kickboxer went the distance with marcin tybora a bonafide heavyweight he has those are his losses magomed mac uh, ankalaev knocked out in the fourth round fourth round three-round fight, he would have gone the distance with Ankalaev. Lost before that is Kenny Garner, a heavyweight, and is a fifth-round knockout, right? So in a three-round fight, he survives. He hasn't been knocked out in, the, in a three-round fight since 2009 when Shane Del Rosario, UFC veteran, Strikeforce veteran, Colin Oyama heavyweight, yeah, rest in peace, right? I don't... It was a heart. I think he had a heart enlargement. I won't get into the drug use stuff, but it, rest in peace to Shane Del Rosario. Could have been a promising heavyweight. Yeah, you're right, dude. He's fought in big boys on the regional scene. He's fought in some good high-level credential guys. He's also got like 42, 43 professional fights in MMA, but he's also got a bunch of uh, pro kickboxing experience of his own. Maxim Grishin, decent enough, but he's 37 years old, and at, at times he's a tad bit lackadaisical in there for me. The Marcin Tybora fight, short notice, up a weight class, he does nothing. He just got smothered up against the cage for the entirety of the fight. Very bad performance for him. The Gosmorod anti Gulov fight, if you've watched that one recently, oh. very bad performance. Like the first round, he does nothing. And this is not against a very low level opponent. In the second round, it's like anti Gulov just topples himself over and Grishin's there. I had a TKO prop on Grishin, and you have no idea how disgusted I was. He got it, and it was the second round. But disgusted, disgusted, because he just played with his food. And then against Dustin Jacoby, it's like new man. You know, first two rounds, he's ultra competitive does get a little bit tired the fight goes but through like 75 significant strikes in the third round alone as he was tired that was a good performance that was admirable from him but he misses weight so now that he's got it he, 210 210 and a half right it's four and a half pounds overweight like that's a big miss and against marcin tybura three fights ago he comes in at 223 at 37 the weight cuts ain't going to get easier the cardio is not likely to get better and even though he's a better striker he's a better grappler he's a better wrestler yeah, I'm a little bit worried that he just gets pinned up against the cage and doesn't go anywhere. Like, Knight's thick. He's a strong guy. He's physical. Uh, that would probably be his best best to fish for takedowns of his own. 
What you'll notice about Knight is like, you know, the Alonzo Menafield fight. He does successfully take him down one time. The, I think it was the fight prior. He gets a couple takedowns here and there. But he is competing a lot in grappling. In fact, he's got a grappling match scheduled seven days after this fight with Maxim Grishin in Connecticut. Just had a grappling match at the beginning of the year, January 8th, where he won by rear naked choke. He's focusing a lot on his grappling. And if he just goes out there and just spams cage work, a few occasional takedowns, and just tries to lean all that muscle on top of him when he does get on top and nothing happens, it's going to be a bog. It's going to be a slow bog, a grind, and I'm going to get burned on it. So I'm not really running to the bookies window to, to, to place my bets, but I got fight goes the distance, minus 120. If Knight wins, make it a bog. That's his path to victory. If Grishin wins, he could knock Knight out. Like He's got much better striking, but uh, if you, again, look at his record. He doesn't really knock out high-level guys. So I think he'll probably just keep Knight on the end of his punches, outstrike him, you know, grapple heavy a fight, maybe mostly up against the cage. Doesn't result. I'm just trying to find when was the last time. Grishin scored a notable knockout. Gazmer and Antigulov, mega bum. Yeah, okay. The guy does got some power, but it's few and far between. I think he's got three legitimate knockouts on his record in his last 15 fights over the last four years, so. It's MMA. Anything can happen. I don't think I'm really looking to bet this one heavy, but the prop I like best is the minus 120 fight goes the distance. Yeah, and again, it's always weird when when you have a guy like William Knight and you say fight goes to decision, right? That's what everybody was running to the window for for the Alonzo Benefield fight was the fight doesn't go to decision. But sometimes he just, like you said, drags it and makes it a bog type of fight where it's just slow. That was an awful fight. Yeah, yeah, that was an awful fight. And for the record... I lost a lot of money on Alonzo Menafield. I thought he had William Knight outgunned everywhere. Yeah. And went to the scorecards, I also thought Alonzo Menafield had won the fight, but they announced William Knight. So then you get thinking, well, why? Probably the better striking. All Menafield does was spam Hold. a mumba against the cage. And now I'm expecting Knight to use that exact same game plan more effectively. But it's Texas judges. They're very <laughs> bad judges. And I think it goes to decision. If it does yeah. go to decision, it's up in the air, man. Who the hell knows? Both of them are obviously coming off decision fights. And... Once they both get tired and they become sloppy, that's what's going to happen. It'll be two punches right into the clinch. Two punches <laughs> right into the clinch. You see it happen all the time. I think this is one of those scenarios, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yes, sir. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got Alex Perez taking on Matt Schnell in a flyweight belt. Uh, minus 380 for Perez, plus 290 the return on Matt Schnell. Now, these guys were scheduled to fight each other earlier, uh, actually twice now. So originally scheduled in September of 2021, then scheduled in December of 2021. Now here they are hopefully uh, fighting on February. They were actually, sorry, they were scheduled one more time uh, way back in uh, May of 2021. So three times, this is going to be their fourth time that they're scheduled to fight against each other. I feel like I've talked about this fight way too many times. So I'm hoping that they finally get it done with so I can stop making breakdown videos and writing up articles about this goddamn matchup. Although I'd be lying if I said I wasn't copy and pasting some of the shit that I did already for these old breakdowns for this fight. But uh, Alex Perez hasn't stepped in the cage since he lost to Davison Figueredo back in November of 2020. On the flip side for a match now, he hasn't stepped in the cage since May of 2021, where he dropped a decision to a Hajirio Bontarine in a quite, you know, 
inactive fight, right? That nothing really happened too much. It seemed like Bontrun was just getting the better of him in almost every exchange there. Uh, I, I still like Perez, man. I liked him back then. I understand why he's at minus 380. Maybe some people are starting to hop off his train considering how he lost so easily to Figgy. But again, it's goddamn Figgy. Uh, he was a little bit too desperate for that takedown, got caught in that guillotine. I'd be surprised if he gets get caught in a guillotine once again. Um, we've all seen the clip of, uh, I believe it's Hector Sandoval knocking out Matt Schnell with like the littlest punches from on top. And that's always the concern with, uh, Matt Schnell is if he gets dinged properly here, he could probably go out. Uh, I believe it was the Tyson Nam fight where I kind of flip-flopped. I had Matt Schnell originally winning that Tyson Nam fight. And then for some reason I flipped to saying, okay, Tyson Nam is eventually going to clip him and, and knock him out. But Put on a pretty good striking performance there. Stayed away from the big power of Tyson M and pulled off a split decision victory that night. But here against Alex Perez, man, I think he's going to get taken down uh, over and over again. And I think from the top position, Alex Perez is going to be able to rain down some big strikes and eventually get him out of there. Snell at times is offensive off of his back, but I don't think it's something that a guy like Alex Perez is going to have to worry too much about. So uh, yeah, if he can mind his P's and Q's on top and don't get, you know, arm barred in full guard or anything like that i think he passes uh uh you know into half guard side control full mount pretty easily here and then eventually finds his finish maybe in the second or first or second round so a couple ways of attacking it uh the unders under two and a half is currently minus 145 don't mind that uh schnell inside the or sorry uh perez inside the distance uh minus 105 that that's kind of my favorite prop for this fight man schnell is absolutely live to get a finish himself but i i trust prez way more in this position here and even the under two and a half i don't think it's too bad at minus 145 given the stylistic matchup we have here so i'm going uh prez inside the distance minus 105 what about yourself i got a little bit bolder i went with prez by knockout plus uh plus 175 yeah i mean national's pretty good grappler and uh, he's not an american top team anymore but He's, he's, he's got good jiu-jitsu. Like, I don't necessarily think Alex Perez will be able to catch him with a submission, but he's got a bit of a soft chin, and I think that's where Perez is going to go to work. I really like Perez. I really do. I mean, 35 veteran, experienced, fought a ton of high-level guys, but I go back to the Jose Torres fight. He comes out there. He just blitzkrieks forward. Nice, tight, technical boxing. Knocks out Jose Torres in the first round. He lands. Man, let me get the exact number here because it's one of the most impressive stats we'll see. Yeah, it was he like lands a against Jose Torres. Fucking crazy amount of strikes, right? Yeah, he lands like almost 100 significant strikes. I just want the, uh, what fight are we at? Goddamn MMA is, uh, Alex Press. 80, yeah, he just, strikes. Yeah, 84 strikes. Yeah, he lands 84 strikes in a knockdown in three minutes and 46 seconds. Okay, impressive. However, he only lands 51% of his strikes. That's because he throws 162 <laughs> strikes in three and a half minutes, three minutes and 46 Crazy. seconds of work. He throws 162 significant strikes at that point i was like shit i know he's a wrestler i know he's got good jiu-jitsu another team oyama guy this guy's got good boxing as well so then he fights joseph benavidez punches the back of the head whatever since then it's a good role you see his jiu-jitsu in the jordan espinoza fight espinoza went three full rounds with tim elliott on top of him the entire time you know submission defense not terrible he just runs right through him the ucr formiga fight he knocks out ucr formiga sets it up the leg kicks just buckles him over that everything he's throwing is landing, and everything he's throwing has got heat behind it. Now, keep in mind, he finishes him, TKO, first round. Yusir Formiga is on the distance with Brandon Moreno in the loss. Yeah. He has wins over Davidson Figueredo, the current UFC champion, Sergio Pettis, the current Bellator champion. He's gone the distance with Henry Cejudo in a competitive split decision. He's gone the distance with 
like, like he's a creme to the creme fighter, and Perez blows right through him. And then this is where he gets caught. It's honestly like a bad luck situation. You're the number one contender. You just absolutely killed one of the top guys in the division, and you see Formiga. You're right there waiting, right? He's supposed to fight Brandon Moreno, setting up a nice little title challenge fight. And meanwhile, Davidson's going to defend the title against Cody Garbrandt, who's going to move down to 125 for the first time. Garbrandt tears his bicep. Perez replaces him on a week's notice. He has to fight Figueredo on a week's notice. And, and loses, gets caught in a first-round guillotine, and then and that's it. It's almost been two years. Well, it's been a year and a half. He's pulled out of a few fights. He's had a couple reschedules. He's had some bad luck, generally. But this guy was one of the top guys. He was actually like probably third in line in the division, earned it the hard way, developing, getting better, 35 veteran experience, and then someone tells me, like, yeah, but is he going to be the same guy now? He's only 29 years old. I know. Sign I know. me up. <laughs> Sign me up. Now with Schnell, he is a talented guy as well, and he's got a lot of good skills. But I, I, I go back to the points you mentioned. The Alexander Pantoja fight, overhand right, kind of glances off, done, out. More so, the Rob Font fight, I, I'll give you a pass. You're up a weight class, tough guy in Rob Font. But it's that Hector Sandoval fight. Sandoval? With that punch? I don't know, man. So... It's the 125, right? Making 125 is hard on him. His last fight, he makes 125. The commission says he don't look right. Check his heart, elevated. Should they have canceled the fight? No. But there's no denying when you look at Schnell visibly from the weigh-ins, doesn't look good. Tough weight cut. That's going to hinder his ability to take a punch. And Perez is no joke. I think he's serious. So I think he catches him at some point. Plus 175 TKO prop. That's where I'm going. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I think people are writing off Alex Perez a little bit too early here. I think he will eventually get another title shot and remind us, you know, why he deserved it in the first place, albeit not the greatest circumstances, given that it was a short order spot against the god of fucking war. Mm, <laughs> no, but the tough go, man. The tough go. <laughs> yeah. And he's got two moves, right? He's got hellacious power. He hits you with that right hand, and he's got a guillotine choke. <laughs> you know, like, he, gets caught he, got, he got caught in his moves, man. This yeah. is what he does best. Shit happens. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Probably the most polarizing fight all week. We got Roxanne Modafferi in a retirement fight going up against Casey O'Neill, the streaking prospect. Uh, she's coming in at minus 400, plus 300 the return on Roxanne Modafferi. Um, man, uh, this has got to be... I, again, I might get a little bit of heat for this, but I do think that this is one of the toughest fights for Casey O'Neill in the UFC to this point. You know, she's fought the Laura Procopio. She's fought the Shanna Dobsons. But Roxanne Modafferi, she's just as good at what Casey O'Neill is good at in terms of dragging fights to the ground and really suffocating women on the ground, right? She did it against Andrea Lee just a couple fights ago, and then now she's uh, kind of fal faltering to the more athletic women like the Tyler Santoses and the, the, Vivi the Viviania Rujos. Uh, I don't know if we can put O'Neill as athletic as those women, but she's definitely the young upstart here really trying to grind her way in into the UFC and doing it in some pretty good fashion, right? She's just absolutely whooping on these women when she's getting in those really good positions. She gave up the first round to Lara Procopio with exactly what Roxanne Modafari will be looking to do, and that's get the takedown because the takedown defense on Casey O'Neill is quite sketchy. I think we can all admit that. And then that top position, O'Neill always finds her way out of those positions, which is great, but how is it going to look when she's doing it against a girl like Roxanne who has some decent top control of her own time? With that said, though, I don't think Modafferi is going to finish her from on top or anything like that. So I could see this going with the full 15 minutes. And I do think we'll see O'Neill squirm her way out of some of these bad positions and then eventually get back to the feet, do some decent work on the feet, and then drag her 
to the ground and maybe start doing what she does best. And that's raining down elbows and big shots from on top. Uh, so personally, I'm staying away from this fight all in all. I'm not paying minus 400 on Casey O'Neill. That's why you guys come to our show for the props to see where our head's at in terms of trying to get a better price tag on these fights. Uh, I do think, although Montefiore is quite durable, the last time she got finished officially was back in 2009 by Barb Honchok, and I believe she avenged that uh, loss with a finish of her own uh, a couple years later. But if, uh, on her exhibition record, when she was on the Ultimate Fighter the first time, she got knocked down by Canada's own Jessica Rogozi, who was a boxer coming into that uh, show. Pro boxer, yeah, 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 pro oh, boxer. No. She was able to get her get her get her out of there with the TKO of her own. So. It's been a long time, although this is a retirement fight. She's much older now, and she's going up against a very hard hitter like O'Neal. I do think O'Neal will find that top position later in this fight and eventually start raining down those elbows and maybe just win based off of uh, just accumulation of strikes. So O'Neal by TKO plus 300, that's kind of what I'm leaning at. And she's one of those women that like she'll go batshit crazy on top and look up at the ref like, hey, you got to stop this yet? You got to stop this yet? Okay, let's finally stop this. I think it's happened on at least two occasions for her, and I think that uh, this one will be the third occasion for her to get that TKO finish over Montefiore. I'm not putting any significant money on it because I do have my concerns uh, with this being kind of her toughest test in terms of grappling and jiu-jitsu and all that, but I do think she passes it. I do think she gets that finish. I know you have a little bit of a different take, so please do drop your knowledge here. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's pretty much about it. I See, you got me a little more worried than I wanted to be. I thought Casey O'Neill would just make this fairly cut and dry. I mean, when fighters announced a retirement prior to the fight, it it never goes good. Like, almost never goes good. And there's multiple examples, the most recent being John Volante. Motherfucker got a spinning wheel kick to the head <laughs> from a 300-pound dude <laughs> because he announced his retirement before the fight. So it just it, it's not a great look, and it generally doesn't end in, like, a happy, feel-good moment. For the most part, uh, with Roxanne Montefiore, yeah, like there's there's those little moments here and there. She's cashed these underdog tickets. It's just there's a reason she's retiring. Thirty nine years old. She's the biggest well traveled veteran in the division, hands down. Women's MMA. Who, who's got more fights than her? But she's twenty five and 19, 19 yeah. losses. She loses here. She's going to retire quietly with a twenty five and twenty pro record. Doesn't really scream high level. Doesn't really scream great success. But she's a pioneer. And that's all well and good. But at some point. The spore passes you by. This is a, just according to her topology, and I've watched all these, right? So, so the Taylor Santos fight, she's out muscled, she gives up five takedowns, you know, got good jiu-jitsu, but Roxanne's not really jiu-jitsu off her back. She's got good top control, very heavy hips for someone with an unassuming frame, but off her back, I mean, uh, she's defensively sound, but not really doing much. But she had taken this grappling match against uh, Barb Sinowitz, right? Uh, loses by heel hook. Amanda Lowen arm bars her in overtime. An MMA fight against Viviana Arroyo, which same thing, four takedowns given up, out muscle, more physicality. You mentioned it was um, athleticism, and athleticism is definitely part of it, but everybody's more, more athletic than Roxanne Modafferi, yeah. uh, me and you included. The, the difference is Roxanne's got that grid, and she was able to get over on these young prospects here and there, but now that you're seeing in the two Brazilian opponents, Viviana Arroyo and uh, Taylor Santos, they're just too physically strong, and I think that's her biggest problem. She's not physically strong enough. The Andrea Lee's actually close fight. I mean, some people actually scored it for Andrea Lee. It's 1-1 going into the third round. But she also gives up two takedowns to Andrea Lee. She gave up two more to Lauren Murphy, a girl that is just too physically strong. Bullied her around in there. That's how I see this one going. I think Casey O'Neill probably shoots the takedown at some point. Well, first and foremost, Casey O'Neill, better striker. Her father was a kickboxing yeah. champion. She's been kickboxing since she was young. 
Roxanne has next to no striking game. So it's entirely up to Roxanne to force her hand and get this fight to the ground. If she can take her down, and that's not crazy. O'Neal doesn't have great takedown defense. But if she can't take her down, O'Neal could plausibly just chop her away all night standing. But I think O'Neal's going to shoot the takedown. I think O'Neal's going to look at the fact that, hey, she's been taken down nine times in her last two fights. She's 39. She's not submitting anybody off their back. And I've got good enough grappling. She's not going to submit me. That's where you take this fight. People can mention the Macy Barber fight. There's another highly touted prospect that failed the Roxanne Modafferi test. But let's be real, dude. She did blow out her knee in the first round. That has something that you can't really overlook. I, I think Casey O'Neill's just maybe not better than Macy Barber right now, but probably better than Macy Barber was back then. And the most thing that I am uh, encouraged by, which is why I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this O'Neill line, is the Laura Procopio fight, man? Dude, she did not look good in that first round. I 100% agree with your assessment. She's getting outstruck. She's just not, not as physical as I thought. She's young. She's green. I don't know what's going on in here, but she's tenacious and she's got good cardio. Those are two things I like. So when she loses the first round of Procopio, no big deal. The second round, she tightens it up big time. Way more competitive, wins the second round. But in the third round, Procopio, she's said it was menstrual cramps i don't want to talk about it i want to think about it so let's just say she gassed out okay so when when procopio gassed out and started to slow down o'neill put the foot on the gas excellent cardio the Al antonina shevchenko fight first early in the first round she didn't look good man she got taken down by antonina shevchenko like not a great look and then uh and then same Mountain. thing it's cardio yeah 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 and i remember um i remember i was celebrating the o'neill as i was heavy on her Ah, it's striker versus grappler, and it's Antonina Shevchenko, not Valentina, right? And I remember being like, not easy money, because I never say easy money, but joking around and being like, well, that was good. And some dude was like, dude, five seconds away from getting stopped. She was in full mount. She looked off. I was like, five seconds? She's in control the whole time. She gets mounted, but you see how effortless it is for her to re-guard, recompose herself, scramble back up to the feet, and then she takes over because she's got good pace, good cardio. I like that about her. Now, the Laura Procopio fight, after the fight, she gets the mic, and they say, who do you want next? And they're talking about these big matchups. And she says, uh, I want time off. I don't really – I've been fighting a lot this year, and I want to work on new skills and you know, get a better training camp going, and I want to take some time off. But the UFC likes her. She's hot. Let's, let's, let's not kid ourselves. And she's a good prospect. She's got good skills, very marketable. That's what the UFC likes. So they throw her in there with Antonina because it's an easy matchup and a big name, right? So now they bring her back. She's not drawing Aaron Blanchfield. She's not drawing Miranda Maverick. She's not drawing Macy Barber. They're giving her Roxanne, who's got a big name in the division, who's on the Ultimate Fighter, Strike Force, fought all the legends of the game, Pioneer, retiring, 39. We need one more job from you, Roxanne. Don't just quietly drift off going off a win and have a happy day. Use your name and give one more prospect that rub. And that's, that's what's happening here. It's tailor-made, I think, for O'Neal. But you bring up points that if Roxanne goes out there and takes her down, again, possible, she could give her some trouble. More often than I think O'Neill's going to find her way to victory. And I think the UFC knows exactly what they're doing by setting up this fight. So in my mind, the only thing that could go wrong is I got it by decision. My official prop is O'Neill by decision, minus 105. I like it. The only thing I could see going wrong is did you watch the last Bellator card? I did. Benson Henderson did not win that shit. <laughs> Right, but he's a legend of the yeah. sport, and, and from Arizona, retirement, and his kids come out, and the one looks like he's gonna cry, and his wife's there, and the the fans are giving him a standing ovation. All this Russian some bitch 
Never had a chance when I went to the scorecards, dude. It never had a chance. God damn it. So what I'm getting at is sometimes as a judge, you have a lot of respect for these guys. Arlovsky, he gets the rub sometimes because he's fucking Arlovsky, dude. It was close. I'm just going to give it to Arlovsky. Maybe there's a world that exists where people have a soft spot for Modafferi, and it, because it goes to the scorecards, they 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 score some rounds for. Her. But I, I think O'Neill takes over and gets the job done by decision, minus one hundred five. I love it. I love it. Last fact I'll uh, lay out about this fight: uh, Roxanne Modafferi made her uh, professional MMA debut in two thousand and three. Casey O'Neill was five years old. So interesting <laughs> that they're finally getting going here uh, in her retirement fight. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Prelim headliner, as Cody just brought up, Andre Arlovsky taking on Jared Vandera. We got minus 145 on Arlovsky and plus 125 the return on Jared Vandera. Now, uh, on first thought, I'm like, oh, this is probably another Arlovsky, just classic. I'm going to stick to my outside and just outpoint you, you know, put up the numbers against you, and that's more than likely how he'll win. I believe that's how he's won four out of his last five fights over guys like Philippe Lins, uh, fellow Canadian Tanner Bozer, uh, Carlos Philippe, Chase Sherman. Obviously, he dropped that fight to Tom Aspinall, sandwiched in there. Uh, but when you start running the tape on Jared Vandera, man, the guy has some decent skills, man. He looks like a dope, and, you know, a lot of people kind of just make fun of him, but he has a decent game. And if even if you go back and watch this fight with Vernon Lewis, I believe that was for LFA. I thought he got robbed in that fight, man. I thought he comfortably won that fight, at least the first two rounds to one, uh, fighting the way that I expect him to fight here against Andre Olovsky. And he didn't have as much to worry about or he won't have as much to worry about here with Arlovsky than he had to do with Vernon Wells. And the fact that Vernon Wells looked like a guy that was just waiting to explode and land that knockout blow, which you know ultimately didn't happen. Arlovsky's not really throwing with much heat nowadays, right? The guy's just trying to pitter-patter, trying to save his chin as much as possible and just touch you up more than you touch him. But that's what Vandera did in the Justin Taffa fight, man. Anytime Taffa threw anything, Vandera was right back with the combination of his own. And I think, obviously... Tough and Arlovsky, two completely different strikers. But I like that mentality of saying, okay, if you're going to touch me once, I'm going to touch you two or three more times right away, right back, so that the judges believe that I was the one getting the better of those exchanges. I personally have a bet on Jared Vandera at plus 140. I think he's a decent spot here, as I do think something that he does that the rest of the guys that Arlovsky has beaten over this run they don't strike as well in combinations. And that's the main thing as to why I'm kind of leaning with Vandera here is he throws in combinations, one, two, three punches, maybe a leg kick here and there. He stays active with his leg kick as well. And then at certain times, he unleashes his power as well, which I think could ultimately come uh, in handy here against an Ar uh, against the guy in Arlovsky who, you know, his chin has looked decent against, you know, some of these guys that just are one-shot kind of guys like the Carlos Philippe's and Chase Sherman. But how does it look when you're getting touched up by a combination and then that big strike comes at the end when that's going to be the one that lands the most flush? And I think that's what could happen here for, with uh, Vandera. Um, Vandera, I think he's singing his praises that he's not fighting a takedown heavy fighter because that seems to be his <laughs> kryptonite, right? Alexander uh, Romanov takes him to the ground and smashes him. Sergei Spivak takes him to the ground and smashes him. If D1 Arlovsky shows up this Saturday, 
I don't know what I'll do. I, I There's no way you can cap that. I don't know if you can even see a takedown attempt on Andre Arlovsky's record over the last several fights. Guy goes out there, and, and it's hilarious, right? That We're talking about 10 to 11 years since we told him to retire because his chin was just completely shot. He was getting knocked out by everybody. He was getting knocked out by the wind. But now here he is at, you know, 40 whatever years old that he's at, uh, still having solid performances against some of these young upstarts who are trying to take that Andre Arlovsky rub but end up coming out on the losing end. But Vandera, man, if you guys watch his fight, the guy, his combinations are great. His pressure, his aggressiveness, his forward movement, I think that's going to give uh, problems to Arlovsky, who's been benefiting from guys who are just happy with throwing one shot or just trying to find that knockout blow on him. That's not Vandera's game. Vandera's going to be methodical about it. I think he moves well. He's a big dude as well. Not, not to mention a 13 or 14-year youth experience. The guy's good, in my opinion. I think that this is a great stylistic matchup for him. So two props I'm looking at here. Uh, actually, well, one prop. Um, so there's obviously Vandera money line. It's down to plus 125 on certain spots. Again, I still think he deserves to be a slight favorite given everything that I just laid out. Uh, Vandera by uh, by KO. I do think he touches the chin of uh, Arlovsky here. Plus 400 on his KO prop. I think one of those combinations lands flush enough to drop Arlovsky and then he follows up with uh, a combination. Uh, if you want to play it safer, him inside the distance is still not out of a line at plus 330, but I think it's ultimately going to be the KO that ends the night for Arlovsky here. So I'm going Vandera already on the money line will likely take some inside the distance or KO myself. How do you see this one? Yeah, I got Vandera on the money line, but I don't really care hey, for a lot go. of the cops on it because I don't know for sure that he does clip him or if it's just another yeah. Arlovsky fight, slower pace, but Vandera does the better job from the outside. And um, yeah, I mean, by, by decision, which is what I officially wrote down, was plus 300. So I think he's got a definite shot here. The thing with Arlovsky and why he's having this career resurgence is proper matchmaking and also they're low pace fights where the guy respects them because he is a legend of the sport and nothing really happens. They kind of stare at each other. It's almost like that meme of Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man. When you look at, let's just say his last number, uh, him versus Felipe Linz, he outstrikes him 50 to 41. Low pace, slow fight, not very entertaining. He edges out a decision. Him versus Tanner Bozer. Bozer outstruck him 68 to 34. There's no takedowns. Bozer outstruck him in basically all three rounds. I scored the fight for Bozer. The judges didn't agree, but he landed 34 strikes in 15 minutes against Bozer. It was a slow-paced fight. Aspinall, he loses. I didn't think he looked bad in that Aspinall fight, but of course, he does get caught and uh, choked out with the rear naked choke in the second. His fight with Chase Sherman, the first round, he's almost knocked out, man. He is on skates. Chase Sherman is all over this guy. And then Chase Sherman, awful cardio, not known to be able to sustain a pace, tires out. And so Arlovsky works his way back into it. And he, he does land 105 significant strikes in that one. But it was against a punching bag. It was against a tired Chase Sherman. It's a little bit different. And his fight with Carlos Felipe, 83 significant strikes landed. Not bad. But again, against another guy that tires. And I think that's my worry here with Jared Vandera is that he has good cardio for a big boy. And he is a big boy. If his fight stays standing, he can throw all night. The problem is he's got, he's got takedown defense issues, and big boys like Romanov and Spivak are able to take advantage. Arlovsky won't do that. So it probably does resemble the Justin Toffer fight. And like you mentioned, every time he got hit, he'd come back with, with two, three punches of his own. Lands 121 significant strikes. Cardio looks good. This fight with Romanov is, is striking. He didn't really get it going, but Romanov didn't want to play any part of that. And even though he does get TKO'd, and he got TKO'd by Spivak as well, and it would appear that, oh, maybe big boy's got chin issues of his own. The ground and pound he sustained in those fights was legendary. The Romanov fight, holy shit, dude. 
It's like when Cabbage Carrera would get knocked out. You would still say, <laughs> that guy's got a good chin, man. That guy's got a good chin. Well, what do you mean? He got knocked out. It's like, yeah, but you not see all the yeah. damage he took? Like, he's got a good chin. He'll take Arlovsky's best shot, and I expect him to roll back with 2-3 of his own. I don't think the takedown's going to be on the table, and therefore I think he wins it. Could he clip Arlovsky? My head tells me yes. My gut tells me decision. And I tend to go with my gut a lot of the time. But I, you're already getting plus money on a straight-up money line play, so why not use him there? On a card that I do agree with a lot of the favorites, this looks like a prominent or at least a, a prosperous underdog. Yeah, it just, it's just I, I'm a little hesitant. But they're giving you a good knockout price. They're giving you a good decision price. As long as you hit one of them, you could be all right. I'm going with the decision. I like it. Again, I could see that as well. I'm being a little bit uh, over, maybe exaggerating on the Vandera side, but uh, I think both method of victories are are live here. All right, that's a wrap on the prelims. Shout out to the 130 live viewers that we currently have here. I feel like the number would slightly be more if we were still back on my channel. So if you have some of your boys or friends that used to watch the show on my channel, please let them know that the new home for the pay-per-view episodes are right here on the All-Star. Give those guys a like and subscribe below. We've clearly made an impact on their subscriber count as we've been absolutely blowing them out of the water since we jumped on the on the show here but again they have a great channel themselves shout out to jhk doing great interviews in his own right not to mention his own show the mma all-star live uh which i believe is going to be live after every single event it's going to be him and dan hooker breaking down every single card after it wraps up so make sure you guys show them some love and then obviously show some love to the guys that are making this show possible on the All-Star. And first and foremost, that's CloudBet. Make sure you guys check them out. Link is in the description below. First ever crypto sports book on the face of the planet. Uh, they accept fiat currencies as well. 100% match deposit bonus. Uh, fast with withdrawals, low margins, high limits. Make sure you guys check them out. And then if you're not at, if you don't have access to CloudBet, Bovada is there to help you guys out as well. $250 welcome bonus if you guys sign up. All of that shit is in the description below. So make sure you guys go check that out. All right, Cody, now that we got that out of the way, let's get this main card underway. We got Nazrat Hackfrass going up against the King, Bobby Green. In terms of odds, we got minus 140 on Bobby Green, plus 120 the return on Nazrat Hackfrass. Now, Bobby Green is coming back after his first ever KO finish in eight years over Ally Quinta, where he was able to sting him early and then eventually follow up with more strikes and get him out of there. Ally Quinta has since admitted that as soon as he ate that first shot, he's like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and he promptly retires after that fight, which is why Bobby Green was able to get that KO. I'm not sure if anybody remembers his other KO that he got eight years to the date, which is hilarious as well, uh, over James Krause. And that was one of that, those funky fights where uh, he gets a point deducted uh, for groin kicks, uh, two groin kicks in like the first two and a half minutes of the fight, gets a point deducted, and then in comes uh, John McCarthy for the third groin kick, saying it's not a groin kick, and uh, Kraus went down as soon as he got hit, and uh, the referee stops it, saying that Bobby Green uh, hit the waistline, not the cup, but if you guys watch the replay, he clearly touches the cup there with the kick, and James Kraus ultimately loses that fight. But what I'm trying to say is Bobby Green is a decision fighter. He is a point fighter he goes out there he rolls with his shots he has a very good boxing game very uh entertaining right which is weird to say for a guy that pretty much only goes to decision but he likes to put on a show likes to throw down with his opponents his durability is one of the best in the game uh and when he fights his opponents it doesn't seem like he puts a lot on his shots but he puts combinations together and i think that's kind of the reason he should win this fight here against hack 
pack rest, big power puncher, uh, obviously coming up short in uh, his last fight to Dan Hooker, where he looked completely lost, man. He, I think he didn't even land more than 20 strikes in that fight as Dan Hooker was just having tremendous success from the outside doing what Dan Hooker does. Uh, but here, Hackrass might have a little bit more success. You know, uh, Green not as mobile as Dan Hooker or doesn't fight as well from range as Dan Hooker. Bobby Green gets most of his work done inside the pocket. And I think it's going to be Hackrass who's going to be moving around more, waiting to uncork those big shots. But I think even if he lands them here, they're not going to have much on Bobby Green as, again, great head movement, good footwork, gets out of the way of these bad strikes these heavy strikes and i think that's exactly what's going to happen here but as cody mentioned at the top of the show man bobby green fights sometimes play out way closer than they should and uh then you're kind of scratching your head like why am i having to rip up this ticket against tiago moises when i thought i won that fight that's at least you're getting a better price here right i think against tiago moises he was like minus 200 minus 250 but here you got him around minus 145 so it's maybe not too bad of an idea to even take a shot on him but one thing i think that me and cody can both agree upon this fight is more than likely going the distance over two and a half is currently sitting at uh minus 225 uh just to give you guys an idea of how crazy that is the last fight for bobby green against ally quinta the over two and a half was minus 400 now it's down to minus two twenty-five after uh, after this uh, after that fight went down. Fight goes to decision minus one ninety. Bobby Green by decision. That's currently sitting at plus one forty. Give me some of that. I like Hack Press, but I don't think that this is a good matchup for him. I think he's going to miss on a lot of his big shots, and Bobby Green will counter him properly here, and then ultimately win on the the output and uh, punch strike here or uh, significant strike count. Bobby Green, Bobby Green decision plus one forty. What about you, Cody? Yeah, I know. I hear you 100%. Hackcross is almost like the tale of two fighters. At his best, he is a volume puncher. He will let his hands go, and he is a good striker. Southpaw stance, you know, guy's rangy. But, yeah, when he's not very good, he just stays like a deer in the headlights. He's staring at his opponent. I don't like it. I thought not only did he look bad against Dan Hooker, which I was on Dan Hooker for that fight, but Hooker just owned him top to bottom, better striking, took him down at will, you know, just dominated him. He never really got anything going against Dan Hooker. It's the fight before that with Rafa Garcia. Rafa Garcia is very limited, and he was in on short notice, and he was effectively a minus 500 favorite. Just didn't look good, never really got going in that fight. I think he's limited. I don't know if it's confidence issue. I don't know if he's had injuries. He's still very young. He's very talented. I just don't know that he's going to put it together at the highest level. And with Bobby Green, I mean, he's a smooth operator. Dude just gets keeps getting better and better every time. Now, here's a crazy thing about Bobby Green, right? So his fight with Rafael Fazeev. Holy crap, man. Nobody's been competitive with Fazeev like that other than Magomed Mustafa in his yeah. debut. But Bobby Green really showcased some high-level stuff. And you know what? Some people scored the fight for Bobby Green. So there's a world that exists that Bobby could have got the decision. His fight with Thiago Moises, shit, I thought he won. Uh, there's a world that exists that Bobby Green should have won that fight. His losses to Francisco Trinaldo and Dracar Close are both very hotly debated. And if you go on MMA decisions, both of them, there's people. In fact, most media members score the fights, both of them, for Bobby Green. His loss to Rashid Magomedov, split decision, a lot of people scored it for Bobby Green. And he got knocked out by Dustin Poirier. Fair. What I'm getting at is there's a world that exists out there where Bobby Green is on like a 20-fight winning streak, hasn't <laughs> lost a fight in six years, and is, is a bona fide badass. The reason why that world doesn't exist is, is the goddamn shake is the goddamn shuffle the judges don't like it it's ignorant they don't like it whenever he gets hit he lets everybody in the arena know he just got hit because he shakes his head he's got that kind of style that leads to decisions 
close decisions, and the judges don't like the guy. That's a problem. With Nazareth, again, the best version of him is the volume puncher. He is rangy, and he's a good striker. The best version of him could show up to this fight with Bobby Green and just kind of lead the dance a little bit, land some good strikes, get Bobby shaking his head, but land the more impactful blows, have the judges agree with that, have the judges recognize that, and win a close, hotly debated decision. Could be a split. People could be sitting at home thinking, oh, geez, I thought Bobby Green won that fight. Happens all the time. Could. I just don't know that I really have the faith in, in Nazareth to show up and be that version. So I got Bobby Green. I bought, got Bobby Green by decision. But the real play here, if you're into chalk, is uh, I know you were talking about the over two and a half. I just got fight goes the distance. It's minus 190. I don't mind it whatsoever. You've got massive recency bias on Bobby Green's side that he just knocked out Ally Quinta, a guy that hadn't fought in almost two years, is in his mid-30s, just recently retired. And is a, is a real estate agent in Long Island, New York. He's got other things going on. But before that, Fazeev decision, Tiago Moises decision, Alan Patrick decision, Lando Venata decision, Clay Guida decision, Francisco Trinaldo decision, Jakar Close decision, Eric Koch decision, Lando Venata split drop decision, Rashid Magomedov decision. Justin Poirier was a creme de la creme fighter. And then before that, you got Edson Barbosa by decision, Josh Thompson by decision, Pat Healy by decision. Yeah, the James Cross one. It was it was ball shots, bro. I watched it. I'm not saying rewatched it. I watched it live. It was ball shots. All I'm saying is Bobby Green is not a knockout guy. But because he's coming off a knockout, there's that what if. Maybe he's all of a sudden turned the corner. But I just don't think he has. And with Nazareth, he's the same thing. His fight with uh, Dan Hooker, he took a beating by Hooker, right? But his chin looked pretty good. But likewise, Rafa Garcia, Alex Munoz, should you not be beating these guys? Should you not be your 5-1 favorite over Rafa Garcia? Chris Grutzmacher, absolutely smoke this guy. Pillar to pose. You're telling me you can't? There's a problem there. So Nazareth's last three fights have gone to decision. Bobby, outside of the ally Quinta fight, his prior like 12 fights have gone to decision. This is a decision fight. And fight goes the distance, covers you on both sides. Bobby does his thing and wins. Great. That's what we love. Perfect. If Bobby screws up, or if the judges get it wrong, or if Texas judge is going to Texas judge, they're covered either way. Fight goes the distance. So the official play that I like the most is that minus 190 on the fight goes the distance. And then I do agree with your assessment. I think Bobby's going to win. And if I'm going to bet Bobby, it's going to be a Bobby by decision. That's that's how you bet this guy. I know we got burned the last time. We really did. But uh, outside of that, come on. It's an outlier. Absolutely an outlier. Like how many fights before that? Like I said, in eight years was the last time he had won a fight by KO. And then he's been finished once in that run uh, to uh, to Dustin Poirier. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No big deal. <laughs> exactly. All right. Let's move on to the next one here. We got Kyler Phillips going up against Marcelo Rojo. Uh, I believe Phillips is the biggest favorite on the card, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he is. Uh, and he's coming in at minus 425, plus 320 the return on Marcelo Rojo. In terms of odds... Uh, yeah, th that's what we got. Sorry, uh, your mic was just really going uh, going off right there. So it threw me off a little bit. <laughs> Mine was? Yeah, I don't know what you were into, but there was some sort of noise. I was like, whoa, what, what, what is happening? Oh, you dying over there? What's good? You're all good. Um, yeah, uh, minus 425 on Phillips, plus 320 on Rojo. Uh, Rojo, uh, the guy's aggressive, man. The guy goes out there and he wants to have a war. Uh, just look at the guy, right? That, that's kind of his style, especially when he watches fight on Kabate, even in his UFC debut against uh, Charles Jordan. Great fight there. He ultimately gets stopped with, I believe, 29 seconds left on the clock. On the Kyler Phillips side, uh, he, I believe he's coming off the Holly and Paiva fight 
uh, yeah, Holly and Paiva fight where uh, he probably should have got a 10 8 in that first round, absolutely whooping Paiva close to finishing him. I believe if he had maybe 10 or 15 more seconds, he probably would have got him out of there. Uh, but then uh, it seems like he dumped his gas tank in that first round and was giving up the next two rounds to Holly and Paiva. Uh, I was holding a Holly and Paiva ticket that night. I think it was like plus 240, plus 260, or something like that. So I'm not mad at the decision, but I it probably should have been a draw. <laughs> it should have been a draw. Like, let's be honest. That was that first round was definitely a 10-8. Um, but good on uh, Paiva to acknowledge that and just come back stronger in the second and third rounds and be able to get his hand raised that night. But Kyler Phillips, like, if you watch most of his fights, even the Song Yudong fight, that kind of happens. Even when he's fighting his fight in that third round, he starts to slow down a little bit, right? His, his output is not as much. His, he's more flat-footed. Uh, he's kind of more biding his time and waiting to explode with someone orthodox strike to hopefully catch a slack in but he more than often starts to slow down. Not as much as he did in the Paiva fight, but definitely he starts to slow down. That's where Yudong was able to win that second round, or sorry, that third round, that ultimately drops her on the scorecards. But if Kyler has any sense here, you look at Marcelo Rojo's record, four out of seven losses come in via submission. Kyler Phillips, clearly the better jiu-jitsu guy here as well. You look to get this fight to the ground, and you look to implement that submission. And that's why I've been eyeing that submission prop at plus 500 for the last couple of days, because I think that's a damn good spot here and an easy path to victory for a guy in Kyler who, if you don't want to test your cardio again, this is how you do so. You take this fight to the ground. And Rojo, questionable takedown defense, right? Uh, he's been submitted by far lesser opponents in the past. This seems like the clear path to victory. Uh, I love Phillips' style overall, but I do question his cardio. Uh, luckily, not as much in a three-round fight. And I think eventually if he starts climbing the ladder and starts getting either main event slots or a possible title shot, I would question his five-round cardio. But in a three-round fight here, I don't think he's going to be in too much trouble. Uh, a couple of a couple of the spots I was looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, like I said, Phyllis by submission, plus 500, I think that's live. Under 2.5 F is not too bad either at minus 180 because that does also cover a roll hole possible knockout, which I think is possible if this fight does start to get later into the fight and uh, he does start to, or Phillips starts to drop off as he normally does. Rojo KO is currently sitting at plus 800. Don't mind that, uh, but I do lean on the Phillips submission prop here. Or again, he could catch Rojo with something as well. Phillips inside the distance at minus 135. Not too bad of a slot here either. Uh, I know you're on a, a slightly different prop here, uh, but we're both on the Phillips side, so please do uh, make a case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, normally I'm on the decision side of things, but I think he's going to knock him out. I think Kyler Phillips is going to catch him with something. <clears throat> the problem with being minus 400, money line favorite, is that, yeah, Kyler Phillips has questionable cardio, and he just let us down, at least let me down in that Roley and Pava fight. Should it have been a 10-8 round? Yes. Did you rally back in the third and make it interesting? Sure. Draw should have been his worst case. The judges unfortunately didn't agree, but you saw glimpses of brilliance in that fight. I mean, the first round, most judge or most refs stopped that fight. It was a beating. He drops Pava, takes advantage, swarms on him. Great athletic guy. The win over Song Yudong, tiring or not, Song Yudong is one of the best guys in the division. Yeah. It's high level stuff. He's still only 26. He's out of the MMA lab. I think sky's a limit for this guy. He just had a little bit of bad luck his last time out. Had he knocked out Pava in the first round, the, the ref steps in, waves it off. Do you think they even booked this Marcel Rojo fight? How big of a favorite would he be over Rojo? He'd be talked about as one of the best prospects in the division. And Rojo, yeah, he's 33 years old. By the way, Rojo is 33 years old, and I think he's making Bantamweight for the first time. It's coming down. When was the last time he fought a Bantamweight? Yeah, okay, so look at this. Last fight is Charles Jordan. He weighs 145, okay? His fight before that against Victor Hugo Medigal, he comes in, he botches his weight cut, and comes in at 139.2. 
So, yeah, he makes weight against John Castaneda. It would have been almost three years ago, two years ago. And, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, he's, he's, not, he's a little bit older. He's a big guy. And he doesn't have good cardio. This is what's interesting to me as well. Charles Jourdain knocks him out in the third round. Okay, His loss prior, John Castaneda, chokes him out in the third round. His loss prior to that, Levy Salamarican, chokes him out in the third round. And then, yeah, his two losses prior to that are first and second round submissions. He's got bad cardio, man. And that's what happened in the Jordan fight. The first round, this kid looks good. Kid, he's 33. He looks all right, man. He hurts Jordan early in the first round. Second round, he starts to tire. Still throwing caution in the wind, but he's starting to get floppy in there. A better guy is going to take advantage. The third round, he barely stand himself over. Jordan just runs right through him. Jordan knocks him down, gets on top of him, and mauls him. Let's him back up and then puts him away standing. Like it was a bad situation. Rojo's had time off since then, but I think Kyler Phillips can win the fight wherever he wants. Stand up on the ground with his wrestling, with his striking, doesn't really matter. He should be able to dictate it. And if I'm worried about his cardio issues, which he's shown in the past, Rojo seems to have worse cardio issues. So I think he gets the job done. You make a good point with the submission. I just think he's going to either get him with the takedown and just smash him with ground and pound, or he's going to clip him standing. But regardless, I think he's going to knock him out. And because of that, I went with the plus 105 Phillips by knockout prop. Yeah, uh, further to your uh, side, uh, the last time you did have a matchup like this where you could take the guy down and smash him, it was Cameron Ellis, and that's exactly what he did. He got the TKO there rather than trying to yeah. lock up a submission. So either is either is live here, maybe just taking the safe route on the minus 135 inside the distance if you kind of want to, I don't want to say guarantee your money, but at least you know if he gets the finish, at least you cover on both sides. But yeah, I, I completely understand the KO uh, side of things as well. A plus 500 on submission prop, Cody. Mm. Mm, you know that's you know that's sexy. You know that's sexy. <laughs> yeah, buddy. I, I I hear that. I'm looking for a plus 700 prop on Jacob Malcolm myself. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Let's go. All right. Let's move on to the next fight. We got three fights left, and this is where it really starts to pick up for me in terms of fights that have relevance, right? Uh, at least in terms of title contention. Maybe not so much the Derek Lewis fight, but but this one has some very big implications. We got Jared Cannonier coming in as the favorite, uh, currently sitting at minus 165, return on Derek Brunson at plus 145. Now, the line's been coming in, right? I believe Jared Cannonier was roughly around minus 190 earlier in the week, and uh, love for that blonde Brunson is coming in, uh, driving that line down. Uh, for anybody that did not get to watch that new show I have with the coaches, the main event marathon, uh, three out of the six coaches are picking Derek Brunson as well. So there is some love from from the coaching side of things on the Derek Brunson side. I don't get it, though. I, I really don't. Because we can go out there and really pick apart Derek Brunson's run that he's had, right? He's on a five-fight winning streak. Uh, he's been an underdog in every single one of them, except the Elias Theodoro fight, but he was uh, it was pretty much a pick him that night. But the Ian Heinish fight goes out there, has a tremendous performance. Uh, I was speaking to Mark Montoya about this one because Montoya was actually cornering Heinish that night, and he thinks that Heinish kind of emptied the gas tank early in that fight when he landed that beautiful head kick that rocked Derek Brunson, and then he tried finishing him but was unable to do so, and he ultimately paid it for the rest of the fight where Derek Brunson was able to come back and pretty much just beat him everywhere in that fight. Edmund Shabazian, we are we know now that was the fight that exposed him as being the guy that does not have any cardio at all. Um, actually, for me, it was the the Darren Stewart fight, but a lot of people were overlooking that. For the masses, it was the Derek Brunson fight where we found out that Edmund Shabazian has a horrible gas tank. Kevin Holland, no takedown defense. Kevin Holland, he was able to go out there and win that fight via decision. And then the Darren Till fight. Apparently, Darren Till 
uh, extremely unmotivated going into that fight, not to mention a torn ACL going into that fight as well. So I just broke, I, I literally nitpicked Derek Brunson's five fight winning streak, which again, it's kind of unfair to him because he still went out there and he got the job done. I don't want to discredit him too much, but there are certain things in that, those fights that we can take away as and, and believe that Jared Cannonier will likely come out on the winning side here. The thing that was consistent as when whenever those fights were in the striking room, Derek Brunson was one good punch away from getting knocked the fuck out. He's getting rocked in every single fight. And luckily, his takedown bails him out of certain situations, right? Kevin Holland fight, he's able to do it. The Darren Till fight, maybe 45 seconds before he locks up that submission, he's on wobbly legs. And luckily for him, he's able to nail that takedown and ground Darren Till and then eventually find that finish. But he's going to have way a way harder time doing that to jared cannonier who since coming down to middleweight uh he stuffed 22 of 26 takedown attempts and he's done a damn good job of nullifying any type of success his opponents have when they do get him down the brad uh sorry the david branch fight i think branch got about a minute and a half of control time much better bjj player than De uh derek brunson uh and uh jared cannonier stayed calm defended any submission attempts that were coming his way managed to get back to his feet and then absolutely unloaded on him and got him out of there jack romanson lands three takedowns in the first round of their fight and i heard somebody earlier this week saying that he got ragdolled in that first round yeah sure he got taken down three times he did not get ragdolled in that fight go back and watch that shit he did a good job of stopping any success that romanson was having with those takedowns got back to the feet and we obviously saw what happened there he nukes jared uh sorry um jack romanson that night as well now, Derek Brunson will likely land a takedown or two here. Don't get me wrong. I think he's the best uh, wrestler out of that batch of guys that uh, Jared Cannonier has been going up against. But I'm not sold on, on Brunson's top control, right? He doesn't do a good job of, like, Khabibing these guys and keeping them down and smashing them from on top. He's, like, just holding on to these guys. But Jared Cannonier does a damn good job of working his way back to his feet and then letting his kicks go, which is a great part of his game. And I think that would be very handy for him here to try to immobilize Derek Brunson early in this fight and then start to let his hands go. And then there's that obvious killer gorilla knockout power, which I think we can lean on for this fight. So I really like Jared Cannonier in this uh, spot. Uh, I've seen a lot of people have strong opinions on both sides. A lot of people that I respect, I think Brunson will take him down and do what he does best. But one thing we can all agree upon is that Brunson does not look good when he's in the striking room. He looks like a deer in headlights. There's certain times where he gets clipped and he just ultimately right away goes for a shot and sometimes it pays off for him. But I think this time around, if he goes for that, he's going to walk into another uh, strike, whether it's an uppercut, a knee, whatever it might be. I think Cannonier is going to be more than ready for that. So uh, I like Cannonier here a good amount and I like Cannonier by knockout which i believe is currently sitting at plus 120 give me all of that killer gorilla and i wouldn't be surprised if that sets him up with the title shot for whoever comes out victorious in the main event am i too high on jared cannonier here uh cody try to bring me down or are you just as high on jared cannonier as well i can't really add much i'd just be repeating everything you said i, I would nitpick the win streak from brunson because i don't think it's all that great i would say that most of those fights were tailor-made towards his style which is his wrestling can get them down and you're right dude he's like one punch away from getting knocked out in two of them anyways like his chin's always been a liability he's got six knockout losses in his career it, it, it's just the way it is he's going on one last career run he's 38 years old and they've given him an easy path of victory in terms of <clears throat> who are the best middleweights right now? Jack Hermanson, Sean Strickland, Jerry Cannonier, Marvin Vittori. Brunson has not fought any of those guys. He's not fighting those guys. He's he's fighting Kevin Holland. Cannot stop a takedown to save his life. Okay. Evan Shabazian, he's like 23 years old. 
very green, very favorite experienced. favorite in that fight. Edmund was like minus 350 or something that night. Ian Heinish is on a career worst run right now, and it's probably likely a, another loss or two away from possible retirement. And Elias Theodoru is high as shit <laughs> fighting on the Colorado regional scene. I don't know, man. Is that world class? Is this like? And then the other thing is talking about retirements. He's like, two fights left in me. One over Cannonier, one over Israel Adesanya. I'm out. Ooh, isn't that interesting? Because why would the UFC give you a title fight if you just said, "I'm going to beat the champ and retire"? They're not going to do that. It's a waste, right? Uh, is it a negotiation tactic? His contract's almost up. I would reckon. Yeah, he knows the end is getting near, and he wants to cash in on this little run. Unfortunately, he needs one more before he could potentially secure himself a title fight, and he's run into Jared Cannonier. And I think he's too much for him. In terms of the takedown defense, you mentioned since dropping down to 185, good numbers. Absolutely. His last fight, he stuffed all eight of Kelvin Gaslam's takedowns. Kelvin Gaslam, collegiate wrestling background. And before that, he stuffed both of Robert Whitaker's takedown attempts, guy that qualified for the Australian Commonwealth wrestling team. Like, his, he, he's so thick and strong that, yes, With he's a got broken good takedown arm. defense. Be, With a broken arm. Yeah, and... With a broken arm. The Jack Hermanson fight, interesting. Hermanson, very high-level wrestler. I mean, the guy that wrestled Kamzat Chimaev over in Sweden. And, dude, he was coming on. Like, Chimaev was getting a little bit tired in that fight. Hermanson's legit. He's a top-level guy. And he's got good jiu-jitsu. When he does get him down, you're right. He just, blow, he just explodes, gets back up. He's almost got like a Derek Lewis vibe to him where you're on the ground, you're on the ground. Time to get up, he explodes up. And when a guy that's that physically imposing wants to get up, more often than not, he's going to. He's out of the MMA lab, John Crouch, one of the best coaches in the game, always has a good game plan, and shows up ready, in shape, ready to go. We've seen him fight five rounds before, for, so for a guy that's that heavily muscled, he can carry it through those later rounds, and I think at some point, he's going to land on Bumson. The difference is, whereas you know, uh, uh, an Edmund Shabazian might land something, or some of the guys that have landed, he's been able to just revert to the takedown. When Cannoneer hits you, it's a different game. So I like the two-check Brunson thing that he's been doing, but he's going back to one-check Bumson on this night. Because Jared Cannonier is going to stuff the takedown and knock him out. If he does get taken down, get back up, stuff the takedown, the second takedown, and knock him out. It's the way it goes. I would love to bet... Ah, oh, wait, so we had more cojones. So last week, we went with Philip Rowe, second-round finish. Why? Because he's going to get taken down by Jason Witt in the first round and controlled. And then in the second round, Witt's going to get a little more tired and a little more desperate, and a little more sloppy. And when he does, he's going to get knocked the fuck out. That's what's going to happen to Derek Brunson. Maybe he takes him down in the first round. In the second round, he's going to get a little more tired. He's going to get a little more desperate. He's going to get a little more sloppy. He's going to get knocked the fuck out. What's the second round knockout prop? Should, we, should, should I get a little bold and just say... Ooh. I think he could knock him out in the first. That's my Had thing. Near I don't KO, like it as round, much as Rowe. Plus 600. Oh! Oh, okay. I just found what I want to do with my life. And uh, yeah, yeah. Officially, officially, I got Cannonier knockout plus 120. Second round knockout plus 600. Mm, may have to have a little bit dabble there. <laughs> I like it, man. I like it that we share that confidence as well. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. Co-main event slot. Derek Lewis represented for Houston in his hometown uh, he's going up against Ty Tuivasa. In terms of odds, we currently are sticking with uh, Derek Lewis, minus 170 now, plus 150 to return on Ty Tuivasa. 
Ooh, this should be a fun one, right? They're heavy hitters. Both guys, tremendous power in their hands. I think the main difference in terms of their striking style comes down to Ty Tuivasa's leg kicks, right? And that's something that he was effective with against uh, Greg Hardy. He found himself on Wobbly Street uh, against Greg Hardy. Greg Hardy's inexperience leads him to get countered perfectly by Ty Tuivasa, and he goes to sleep. Uh, Ty obviously follows that up with the win over Augusto Sakai. Um, didn't use the leg kicks as much in that fight, but he eventually tracked down Sakai at the ending of that first, and then obviously at the second round was able to finish him there. On the flip side, for Derek Lewis, <clears throat> obviously coming back and, and winning. So he lost the uh, interim title fight against Sergon back in August. Comes back in December, starches Chris Dawkins as a slight underdog in that fight. And it's like no matter how many ways you try to break down a Derek Lewis fight, it always comes down to one thing that punch landing or not and if it does more than likely you're going to sleep if it doesn't more than likely you're able to go out there and kind of just outpoint him and maybe finish him in a five rounder maybe finish him in the third or fourth round um but it's been a long time since we've seen him like dead out cold like i think the last time we've seen him out cold was against uh sean jordan way back in the day or even matt mitrione actually it was the matt mitrione fight where mitrione drops him and then follows up with big strikes and that's where you kind of see him out the sean jordan one was where he uh, last, yeah the hook kick the super yeah, kick or whatever was it was sweet. uh sweet chin music that's pretty much what he landed him with uh yeah. and then followed up with some ground and pound and Derek Lewis was still in it but you, you got to stop it at that point but all of his ko losses after that are just either through exhaustion <laughs> or his back issue uh if you guys remember that jds fight where he's like yeah my back my back season it's done it's over with that's where he, he started to have like his procedures and whatever the fuck he did to try to fix those things but the the main thing is if he's in a five-round fight and it gets deep he more than likely will get finished due to exhaustion if his other uh if his opponent already hasn't slouched over and died this one though i think we're going to see them throw leather man co-main event slot in his hometown i think tied to is trying to up his name as well and what better way to do that than to go out there and try to knock out a guy like Derek lewis obviously it might start off a little bit slow with him just trying to land leg kicks and then start to open up um but i think at a certain point both these guys are going to open up and i think it's going to happen in the first round and i think one of these guys is going to go to sleep not many men can trade in the pocket with Derek Lewis and live to tell the tale. And I think that's exactly what is in store for this weekend. So I'm going Derek Lewis. I'm not, I'm not touching this fight, though, Like from a betting perspective. The under one and a half, minus 180. Like That's just absurd, but makes absolute sense. Uh, if you are looking at something like that, fight to not start round two. Minus 135 or minus 115. I don't mind those spots. But Derek Lewis, round one, uh, plus 130. Hoping for a better line there. Yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. Lewis round one, plus 130, or fight doesn't start round two, minus 135, minus 115. How are you seeing this one? I went Lewis TKO, minus 125. Much of the same. I think both guys are big, heavy hitters. Gonna stand, they're going to stand in there, and they're going to let their hands go. And on one hand, you've got Derek Lewis has got the experience advantage. I think he's got that. It's hard to say you got a power advantage over any guy, but like, yeah, I think the power advantage in this spot would go toward Derek Lewis. And the way Ty fights is he likes to get in his opponent's face, pressure them, and you know make it a scrap. I just don't know that that's the best approach for Derek Lewis. So similar when you were talking about uh, one check Bumson, you're like eh, maybe the five fight winning streak is a little bit misleading. I think Ty's a little bit misleading as well. He knocks out Stefan Struve. Struve got heart issues he's he's also retired he retired right after the fight and he's never been able to take a punch i think if strew fought Derek lewis you know it'd be another empathetic knockout loss so it's not big to me harry hunsucker nah, come on man it's harry hunsucker knocked around 49 seconds pretty dope 
But again, Terry Huntsucker, so just going to take that one with a grain of salt. The Greg Hardy fight, no, he did not look good in the early going. He gets tagged. He's on wobbly legs, and unfortunately, Greg Hardy just makes a stupid move. Another green fighter, but bum rushes him and gets caught with the counter. You got three fights here, not great. And then Augusto Sakai. On paper, that's his best-looking win. Sakai was on a two-fight losing streak coming in. That was his third fight losing streak. He's not looked good in a little while, and he fought a really bad game plan. We just stood there, refused to throw anything for the large majority of the minute, the 26 seconds into the second round. But the whole fight to that point was very much the same thing. So I, I don't know. As much as Ty wins, he does the shoey, you get pumped up. He's on top of the cage. The commission guy's telling him you can't do that. He's telling him, fuck you. It's a good time. The place is vibing. The fans are pumped up. Everybody's getting involved. It's good. But it doesn't take away from the fact that they're not super high-level wins, and it's not like he's looking necessarily an awesome doing it. His last one against Sakai did, but it's all styles. So I think more than likely in this fight, he's going to try to meet Lewis, push Lewis back, and they're going to sling hands, and Lewis is just going to catch him with something. Similar to when he fought Junior DeSantos. He was looking good early. Tajoui Boss is back in DeSantos up. He's landing some good shots, but... Junior just took his time, bided his time, landed one beautiful counter, tied to Ivasa, crumpled to the canvas. I'm thinking that that's the way this one's going to go. So I picked Lewis and I went with Lewis minus 125. But it, listen, you got heavyweights, you got big hitting heavyweights. Either guy could switch the other guy's lights off. I don't know how heavy I want to go in on it. But with Derek Lewis, man, I have learned my lesson. And uh, I'm just not really rushing to bet against him. For the record, because I've never liked somebody as much as I like Lewis, that has cost me as much money. I took Gabriel Gonzaga. I honestly thought BJJ Black Belt, you know, he's going to take him down, he's going to submit him. Lost that ticket. I had Roy Nelson still to this day. I thought Roy did win that fight, but, you know, split decision loss. I had Travis Brown. Travis Brown has him cooked the entire round and a half. Falls apart. Third time he cost me money. I took uh, Francis Ngannou. They stood at each other. Nothing happened. I took Alexander Volkov, buzzer beater, in a fight that we were dominating. I took oh. Laguaya Vonov. Going to get his wrestling going. Come on. Going to get his wrestling going against Derek Lewis. I took Curtis Blades, of course, because Curtis Blades, best wrestler in the division, right? He's just <laughs> going to put that grind on him. And I took Chris Doukas the last time out. This man has absolutely blown up my pie on eight occasions. Uh, even if I thought Tai Tuivasa could win, he could win. But even if I thought he would win, I don't know that I would bet it anyways. Uh, but on this rare occasion, I am actually siding with Derek Lewis to get the job done. Minus 125 on the knockout prop. I like it. I like it. And yes, I see you guys in the comment section. Some of you even trickling into my Twitter DMs right now. We will fix the audio issue for next week. I know some of you are, are getting frustrated by it, but we will get to it next week i promise uh, i believe uh we only have one fight left anyway i'm not sure what it is on your side cody that's kind of making that noise uh that's causing i don't the, know like i don't think don't i'm know. hitting my microphone but it might be like a wire it issue could also be uh the, the microphone that could be attached to your to your headphones that might be rubbing up on uh your collar or your zipper or something uh, like that but i'm not dude, sure what it that, is that that might be it you know what yeah. i bet you're fucking right that could be let me it. see if i could I could fix it all right now. Man, too bad you didn't mention that earlier and got my brain thinking. <laughs> that could possibly be it. Well, I don't we'll know see. if I'd have to restart my program, but I oh. bet you that, that's exactly that sounds way better. what it was, dude. That's exactly that what it was. <laughs> well, you live and you learn, man. Preet, unfortunately, it took us one hour and 51 minutes to realize that. But as the kids say, better late than never.
There you go. I apologize for everybody at two. I do. I have like four people in my Twitter DMs be like, I don't know what that sound was, but it's unsufferable. I'm like, I don't know, guys. I'll try to fix it. All right. Uh, Little Alfred. Even he was fired at the audio. Even Alfred's like, fuck this. (laughs) All right. Uh, Main event coming up. So shout out to the 110 live viewers that are still here that dealt with the the zipper or whatever it might have been. Uh, Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe. Show the guys over there at the All Star some love. And then obviously, just one last plug for the sponsors that are allowing us to do the show on this platform. First and foremost, shout out to CloudBet, the first ever crypto sports book. They accept fiat currencies as well. Uh, they take payments through MoonPay as well. That's something that a lot of people are looking forward to. Uh, fast withdrawals, low margins, high limits, and 100% match deposit bonus. So make sure you guys check them out. Link is in the description below. And if you're in one of those countries or states that does not allow CloudBet, Make sure you guys check out Bovada. Link is in the description below for there as well. $250 welcome deposit. Main event time, Cody. Act two. Middleweight title fight between Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker. We got minus 290 now. Money coming in heavily and steadily on the Israel Adesanya side. Plus 230 on Robert Whitaker. When they were first matched up in October of 2019, it was a pick Robert Whitaker was coming off a 14-month layoff, not to mention that uh, hernia-related injury that he had that forced him out of the Kelvin Gastelum fight. Uh, Apparently, it was close to being fatal, right? If he actually went out there and fought Kelvin Gastelum that night, he more than likely would have had a very severe and possibly career-ending injury. Uh, Luckily, he doesn't, and we get him back. And since then, well, obviously, he lost to Israel Adesanya that night in October. But since then, managed to claw his way back to a title shot. Three straight wins. He defeats Darren Till, Calvin Gastelum, and Jared Cannonier during that stretch. Uh, and, and looks pretty damn good doing so, man. Does a good job of mixing up his entire game. So uh, I was looking up a couple of interviews and stuff that he's been doing since the Israel Adesanya fight. And one thing that he continues to say is that he wants to go out there and take off the head of Israel Adesanya, right? There's a little jabbering and, and shit-talking going leading up to that fight. And I he believes that it played into his mental and he wanted to go out there and absolutely take off the head of Izzy. And you kind of see that in his approach in that fight, right? You don't see him that aggressive as much in his fight. See, he was doing a damn good job in that first round. I thought, I thought he was winning that first round up until the point he got clipped at the end of it. And then obviously from there, it wasn't really the same after that. Adesanya was able to find his perfect spot and eventually get that finish in that second round. But if we get a little bit more of a, a calm and patient Whitaker here, things could be a little bit easier, right? People see that first fight, and they that's why Israel Adesanya is up to a minus 290 now. They're going to be like, he has his number. He knocks him out every single time. No ifs, ands, or buts. But Izzy's been having some competitive striking battles with p- opponents since then, right? Jan Blachowicz beats this guy first two rounds just off of striking alone, right? Everybody's like, he needs to get this fight to the ground to have success, which he ends up doing in rounds three, four, and five. But in the first two, they're still competitive and he's still having success. Now, I do think that size had a little bit of uh, something to do with that, right? Is he's usually so good at uh, or so used to fighting guys that are shorter than him that he can keep them at distance. Whereas Jan Blahovich, he's almost in the pocket with them at almost every single time. And Blahovich was landing the better strikes there. But the fight that I kind of want to turn people's attentions to is, is, is the Marvin Vittori fight. Now, I know Adesanya sweeped him there on the scorecards, 50-45 all around. But every single round, with the exception of one of them, I think it was the third round, Vittori gets him to the ground and holds him down for about a minute to a minute and a half. But then when he gets back onto the feet, everything goes back into Adesanya's favor because Marvin Vittori's striking style is just slow, plodding, moving forward, brutish style, and that's a very hittable style. And that's what Adesanya was just having a field day with. 
But with Robert Whitaker, if he hits some takedowns here, and sure, I'm not expecting him to Khabib Israel here by any means, but I think that he could make it look good optically with him landing takedowns and maybe getting 45 seconds to a minute of control time on top. And then when they get back on the feet, he has a decent striking style to be elusive, to stay away from some of the big shots from Adesanya and maybe land a couple of leg kicks from the outside and do some good work from, from the inside. That could look good to judges. And again, put in the takedown there, like I said. That could look good to the judges. So if this fight goes to a 25-minute uh, spot, which it could absolutely happen, that's what the odds makers are thinking is going to happen, considering that the over 4.5 right now is at minus 130. If this goes all 25 minutes, are we going to safely say that Adesanya cleanly sweeps him for over 25 minutes? I think he's live to knock him out, absolutely. He did it in the first fight. But if he doesn't find that knockout, things get very hairy. Things get very close. And I think Whitaker has shown over his last couple of fights that he has the chops to have a solid 25-minute game plan if he needs to. Uh, and not to mention, like I said, things were really not in his favor going into that first fight against Adesanya. Now he's a little bit more active. Now he has more reps under his belt. Now he's at least seemingly 100% healthy. I like the Whitaker side here, man. I did pick him to win. I do have a small play on him at plus 225, um, waiting for that inevitable Adesanya love to come in as the week starts to go on. I think I'm going to wait till fight day and probably finish off uh, the half unit that I have on him. Uh, but Whitaker, Whitaker by decision, which is currently sitting at uh, plus 450. Not too bad of a spot. Again, getting a little greedy, especially considering that his money line is already at plus 230. But I don't think he knocks out Adesanya, which, you know what, could be a possibility. We've seen Adesanya dusted in the past, obviously, his kickboxing career, but his chin is held up pretty well uh, during the MMA realm. But Whitaker obviously doesn't strike like Alex Pereira, right? Alex Pereira is a, a fucking monster with his power. Uh, but decision, plus 450. That's kind of where I'm going here. And even the over four and a half, minus 130, um, especially if you're picking the Adesanya side. Does Adesanya knock him out 10 out of 10 times? I don't think so. I think this is going to be one of those times where we see it go the full 25. Sure, Adesanya could have the better of the striking. At least you get covered with the over four and a half here at minus 130. But the side that I'm going to go with is Whitaker. Shit on me all you guys want, just as I have been shit on for big underdogs I take in the past. But I think Bobby Knuckles at plus 225 is disrespectful against anybody in the middleweight division, as I believe he's maybe top three, top four best middleweights of all time. Give me Bobby Knuckles by decision plus 450. What do you got? Yeah, yeah, all, all fair points, all good points. I can see uh I can see Whitaker pulling something. I just I haven't seen enough from him to believe that he's made any of these great adjustments other than He's healthier and he's not going to be as emotional this time. Like, I, just as far as the skill goes, I, I don't know. I'm not quite seeing it. He needs to wrestle. He needs to mix in the wrestling for sure. I don't know that for 25 full minutes you stand with Israel Adesanya, you're going to necessarily get the better of him. And whereas Whitaker can wrestle, offensively, he just doesn't really all that often. I guess you've seen it from him his last time out, but. I don't know. I'm just not sold that that's the game plan. If you want to stand with Israel Adesanya, you'll have moments of success. Even if he does wrestle, he'll have moments of success. But when Adesanya gets back up, I think it's just like a moment of you're waiting on him to catch him. I think he's just going to catch him. The biggest thing for me on Whitaker's, or sorry, uh, Israel Adesanya versus Marvin Vittori is that his get-up game was pretty good, man. He w would get taken down, but his takedown defense looked improved, and his get-up game looked much improved. And when the fight is standing... The guy's just very surgical in there. With Robert Whitaker, meanwhile, you could actually like see it happen in real time. So 
He was not chinny, although Colton Smith had dropped him and Steven Wonderboy Thompson had knocked him out. He's durable. The first fight with Yoel Romero. Holy shit. That would take it out of anybody. It's a crazy fight. It's a back-and-forth war, and he beats Yoel, but it would take a lot out of the normal person. The second fight with Yoel. Oh, my God. Talk about life-changing. Dropped twice. Hurt throughout. Looks like he's inches away from getting knocked out, and a lot of people scored the fight for Yoel Romero. Whitaker barely holds on. And then the Israel Adesanya fight, yet he gets knocked out. Dropped twice. Again, same thing. His chin is starting to leave him. Darren Till? Darren Till hurt him. He was hurt against Darren Till. But he survives and he beats what I believe is a lower-level guy with a big name. The Jared Cannonier fight, he looked much improved. The Kelvin Gastelum fight, he's mixing in his wrestling and you know doesn't have a chin issue, but Kelvin Gastelum's not the biggest power puncher, I guess. Jared Cannonier fight's a good one because we do know how hard he hits. But I, I, I really do keep going back to that four-fight streak. Two fights with Yo Romero, one versus Izzy, one versus Darren Till. You hit this guy, all of a sudden he's discombobulated. His balance is thrown off. You'll be able to intercept him. You'll be able to hurt him. And with Izzy, that's just kind of what he does. Marvin has one of the best chins in the division. Marvin can eat a frying pan in the face and march right through it. No doubt about that. So is he teeing off on him and him taking it? That's not that bad. Is he taking hitting Whitaker again? We've already seen it. And so we've seen the fight happen before. Two years ago, things change. Completely understand. But another knockout for Israel Adesanya is viable. It's possible. And they're offering up a plus 155 on Izzy by TKO. That's kind of where I'm leaning myself. He's got five rounds to work with. He's knocked him out before. This figures to be mostly a striking battle. I got Izzy. I got Izzy. All-Star was talking about putting out some cool props and whatnot. And I was thinking, like, what would be a cool prop? And I got to be a cool prop. Like, is Izzy going to come out with a full-on, like, dance ensemble to walk down to this <laughs> ring? Because, hey, man, we're in a big arena. There's a live crowd. Like, that'd be a cool prop. But I'm pretty sure the UFC distinctively told him, no, no more. So I went with uh, how many shoeys Tai Tuivasa will take if he beats Derek Lewis. And uh, I'm betting Derek Lewis, so hopefully no shoeys. <laughs> there you go. I love it. I, I love the breakdown. I, I completely agree with your your uh, assessment as well. I think, uh, again, I think the line is a little bit too wide. I think this is going to be much more competitive than the first one, and I can't wait to see how it plays out. Uh, and that obviously wraps up the city kickboxing uh, prop that we kind of spoke about earlier. Um, once again, Cloudbet is offering over or under one and a half wins for the city kickboxing crew. Again, that covers Blood Diamond. That covers uh, Carlos Alberg, and then obviously covers Israel Adesanya. Check out CloudBud. Link is in the description below. All right, let's get to the three best prop bets. Now, I normally announce my uh, my guest that I'm going to be having on tomorrow's Ultimate Weigh-In Show. Still don't have that finalized, so just bear with me, guys. We will drop that on Twitter and Instagram as soon as I get it. So is it Caitlin right Chukagian? I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, if that was an accurate guess, I'm on to some. <laughs> Let's get into the three best props. For... <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll kick things off as I always do. First and foremost, I got Morozov by decision. Plus 110. Uh yeah, I think he does work in there against uh, Douglas Silva DeAndrage. Uh, we've seen Douglas struggle with grapple-heavy approaches in the past, not to mention almost losing to Hennon Burrell had it been another referee in there. But uh, Lerone Murphy getting takedowns, a, tr a lot of guys. If they want to take Douglas down, more than likely he's going to go down. And Morozov is more than likely the best grappler and wrestler he's fought over his last stretch. Uh, so yeah, I like Morozov and uh, Morozov over 15 minutes. 
Next up, I got Phillips by sub, plus 500. Got to take a little bit of a shot on that. Uh, four mm. out of the seven losses on Rojo's record are via submission. Phillips, high-level black belt, I believe. Uh, very good off uh, with his jiu-jitsu. I feel, I feel as though we'll, fight, we'll see this match on the ground at some point, and uh, either the TKO, ground and pound, or the sub is going to be live. But at plus 500, that is too juicy to pass up. Lastly, Killer Gorilla, Jared Cannonier, VKO, plus 120. Like me and Cody spoke about, I was all over Cannonier during that breakdown. Uh, he might get taken down a couple times here. Brunson, I'd be surprised if he finishes on the, on the ground. I don't think he catches him in a submission or anything like that. Eventually, Cannonier is going to have his moments on the feet, and one of those moments is going to end up with a knockout. So I'm going Jared Cannonier. K.O. Let's move on over to my guy, John Stargarian. Uh, he's first and foremost going with Maxim Grisham by decision, plus 150. I think we pretty much broke down that fight exactly how we thought it was going to go. Uh, next up, he has Moicano by decision at plus 245. Cody seems to like that side as well, seeing that fight go the full 15 minutes. And Moicano just kind of pitter-patter him from the outside. And then lastly, John is going to go with Phillips by sub as well at plus 500 because he likes that uh, prop just as much as I do. All right, let's flip it on over to Cody. What do you got, brother? Yeah, I always weenie around these things and go for the tight ones. So Casey O'Neill by decision, minus 105. I want to know what's going to hit. And I just think Roxanne Montefiore, retirement fight, not going to go well for her. But she is super durable, durable enough to hang on for a decision loss. So minus 105 there. Then we're going to move on to Phillips by KO. So you guys both have the Phillips by submission. And the difference is <laughs> your prop looks real sexy. It's plus 500. Mine not so good, plus 105. But... Honestly, I think if it stays standing, he's going to catch Rojo. I'm just hoping he uses his wrestling. And the guy's got good ground and pound. I think he's going to put a pace on him. He's going to tire him out. Hopefully, right the mistakes from his last performance and uh, just come out here with all types of aggressiveness, good cardio this time, and get us a TKO victory plus 105. And then you and I are on the same page. we got Jared Cannonier by KO plus 120. Uh, yeah, I think he stuffs the takedowns and catches Brunson at some point. If Even if he does get taken down, cause Brunson to work, cause Brunson to get tired, and then once Brunson gets tired, he's going to get a little bit desperate in there and sloppy, and that's going to be the best time to catch him. If you wanted <clears throat> two bigger props, I suppose the Jacob Malkoon by submission at plus 700 makes a lot of sense. And who are we talking about? We got a second-round knockout prop. I wrote it down. I think it was kind of near. Kind of near by KO round two plus 600. Yeah, so if you want to get risky with it and you're saying, geez, plus 120, not good enough for my liking, like I got a, I got a feeling that there's a little bit of a feeling out process and Brunson minds his P's and Q's early, Kenny Near figures out his range, and then round two, beep, thing just blows up lopsided his head, puts him away. So uh, plus 120, straight up knockout. If you want to get a little bit of bold with it, maybe go second round, plus 500. So pops, plus 600, that blonde, pops that blonde Brunson bubble uh, pretty emphatically, I think that we're both going to be on that side this weekend as well. Um, I was right, riding so, the yeah. wave of the blonde hair. I was riding it. And then my own boy, Rowney Barcellos, had to go. Oh. Fuck. After that, I said, blonde hair, I don't care. It's, it doesn't, 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 doesn't affect anything. Exactly. Um, all right, Cody, uh, appreciate you hopping on and doing the show as always. I'll give you the platform one last time and then I'll wrap this thing up. You got anything to say for the, the fans watching still? I'm sure they don't care at this point. It's been two hours, right? So two hours, 15 <laughs> fights. I love chatting with you, man. But even I can feel myself thinking wearing a toque was a bad idea. It's starting to get hot <laughs> under these bright lights. So pumped up for the fights this weekend. There's a lot that we could pick and choose from. I like some of the props as well. And I'm glad that me, you, and John actually lined up on a decent amount of them. So 
got a lot of confidence. I do tend to wait until the weigh-ins to lock things in, just who I am. I want that last bit of information. And then uh, check out any picks, any selections, anything like that on Twitter Saturday. If you've got any questions, causes, or concerns, hit me up on Twitter at CJ Safdick. And again, just love chatting with you, man. Thanks for everybody taking the time to tuning in. And uh, best of luck. I feel like this could be a profitable weekend for all of us. I hope so. Uh, lastly, shout out Star for giving us their platform to do the show for them. Uh, we, we love the support that they're showing us, not to mention CloudBet and Bovada. Both of those guys are in the, in the description below. Make sure you guys go show them some love so they know that the Prop and You Up boys have been around. All right. Uh, on behalf of myself and Cody and Alfred, who's getting a little bit restless uh, sitting uh, by my feet right now, uh, we appreciate you guys checking out the show. Hit that like and subscribe on the way out. Good luck on your bets. And just a reminder, propping you up the regular fight night shows back on my channel, uh, starting with next week's uh, Dos Anjos versus Fiziev card. And then me and Cody will be back for March 5th right here on the All-Star to break down Kobe Covington versus Jorge Masvidal. I cannot wait to break down that card with you, my man. Until then, appreciate everybody. Good luck on your bets. And we'll see you guys next time.